Your hosts are The Great Order and No White Guilt. And this is the one and only After Party, and it is our Thanksgiving special, folks. The crown winner of last week and the only financial contributor of last week is Mrs. Jess Horse, financially gifting $25. God bless you. Thank you so much. And congratulations for being the crown winner. Financially gift, folks, on Entropy, which will be up running in a moment. You'll also be able to ask your questions and post your comments about the Big Turkey Day yesterday over there. You may financially gift over on Cash App as well. The URLs for both are in the description below. Today, we have a team of wondrous people on tap for this Happy Thanksgiving special. And a big happy Thanksgiving to you, Mr. George, sir. Please take it away. Hello, hello. How is everybody? It's good to see you. And uh, we have some friends joining us. I feel like we just did this for Halloween, a multi-guest special. It was only about a month ago. Yeah. And went a little quickly. Uh, but everything is very good here. And sending my love to all of you and your families and friends and loved ones. So you know how these things go. It's a cozy stream, a nice, comfortable hangout. And we're catching up with guests and kind of just free free floating seeing where we're, where things will take us in the conversation but everyone feel free to say hello in the chat and ask any ask any questions get any comments in as well but we have a treat to begin with our friend Laura Lee is back it's been a little while since we've spoken to an old friend of the show and uh, if you if you don't know her work, she's done it's still in prog in progress or in process, but a lot of it's been completed already. This wonderful series, very high production value, breaking down Lord of the Rings as a meta myth for our time, and breaking down even if you don't know the story too well. And I mean, we know the story, but Jason and I hadn't seen all of the movies or we weren't brushed up on them the first time that she was on the show, because she really uses the the Peter Jackson movies as these the images in them, I guess it, it came at the right time, right? And we talked about this where the technology was such where they could pull that off, but it wasn't quite the uh, anti-white cornucopia that's going on now. I mean, we know it's always, it was made the last few years. It would have felt and looked very different than it did. So kind of hit this sweet spot, I guess, when it came out in the early 2000s. But Laura Lee does this tremendous work bringing in uh, symbols and Jungian deep psychology and all kinds of things uh, to really lay out why it is that Lord of the Rings resonated with so many people and how it has a lot of analogs to the challenges going on in the world right now. Uh, you might be familiar with Carl Jung's statement how uh, the myths are to a culture, what dreams are to an individual. So she really takes mm -hmm. this deep dive into the symbols and the themes and the images and uh, gives us this big picture view of where we are now and the kind of forces at play. Uh, but it's very inspiring because as my friend Jason here says all the time, it's another way that you can, you can give context to the challenging times that we're in. And instead of being beaten down by them or getting depressed about it, you can rise to the occasion and say, what character do I want to be in this story? How do I want to contribute to this? How, how can I be a hero in my own way or a heroine? But having said that, Laura Lee, welcome back to the after party. 
Well, thank you so much for inviting me and hail to you both and happy Thanksgiving to all. Thank you. You are in Canada and I know you all I am celebrate. China. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You're cutting out a little bit for, uh, for your Thanksgiving me. in Oh, Are Jason, you, how, how, how am I sounding? Jared, you, you might have to shut off your video stream. You might have to shut off your video stream because you did, you were breaking up a little bit there. Try try, try without the video. Bit. Yeah. Okay, it's not I'll just try me. For a bit. Okay. It's, um, no settings have changed here, but we'll see. Maybe it just needs to, maybe it needs to just rest for a second. But uh, yeah, <laughs> of course, the floor is yours to talk about whatever you want. I was just going to okay. ask, a, start with a light question. You want to tell us anything what Canadian Thanksgiving is like or what the what the story is with Canadian Thanksgiving or, or what you guys eat up? Do you do turkey like we do down here in we the States? Do. Well? We do. But our Thanksgiving already happened in October. So October, yeah. Yeah. And it's not so much the the major event um here uh, as it is uh in America. So yeah, a little bit different. Um but on the theme of Thanksgiving and giving thanks, I think that what I have been reflecting on a great deal over the past year is uh, on this Promethean myth and that coming as a consequence of the winter solstice last year. So now that we are approaching the solstice again, we're in the, the dark time, the time of descent, and what happened last year on the winter solstice was a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. Now, Aquarius is associated with the Greek myth of Prometheus. So that story, of course, is old and comes to us from that period of time. But as I've been reflecting on how this whole business of defying the ruling order, how is that progressing over the course of this year? Because the last year solstice was like the breaking through into consciousness or, or maybe even a re-breaking through into consciousness of, of this force in the human psyche that is the seeker of knowledge, wisdom, truth, and the expression of, of freedom. And this Promethean torch, obviously, is, is the light. So reflecting on the light and what does that mean and how has that uh, played out over the course of the last year based on not only this myth, because again, the Greek myths are from the time of the Greeks, you know, a couple thousand or so years ago. Um, but what I'm getting a sense of is, is the connection between the Greek myths, particularly this one, and the Lord of the Rings, which I think is, is an expression of this Promethean spirit um, using the king archetype. So Tolkien uses the archetype of the king to, to express this urge within the human psyche to stand up to the ruling order, to stand up to 
the ring of power and and to claim our sovereignty and to seek the higher dimensions of what it means to be a human so so then from tolkien um we we go to jason's story of prometheus rising which as i've been reflecting certainly in our pre preparation for our talk today but also over the period of the year uh jason's um story has come to mind many times mostly in relation to the the powerful imagery like of the battle scenes and as i've been observing all the goings on of the past year and the ups and downs and all the craziness both inside and out it, it has um a feeling uh of these great battle scenes i mean there's great battle scenes in lord of the rings as well and that sense of this roiling boiling uh turmoil that is within the human psyche at large right now but also it it is in our own psyche so i would suggest that many of us over the past year have had to um, descend to the underworld and sit in the mock of the terror rage and grief that leaves us vulnerable to the what i call the forces of evil and and our susceptibility to being manipulated and herded around like a, a bunch of cattle and what really gives me heart right now though and and in i would say like the past month or so um as i'm observing what's going on in the world this this rising of the promethean spirit millions and millions of people around the world really stepping up really getting it that hey we can't sit around and think about this anymore. We we have to stand, and we have to resist. Um, and I I'm I see that happening. And thank God, <laughs> thank all the gods and goddesses that that this is um, occurring. And I don't like to use this word awakening because it tends to get so overused in the wrong way but awakening in the sense of, of seeing the light like realizing that we have within us this powerful force the life force of the universe in the form of the light and we cannot and will not submit to to this force of evil that is rolling out to try to crush this spirit so i i feel very strongly and have for some time that this is the great battle of our time and and uh so hence my reflecting on these battle scenes from jason's work and uh, lord of the rings and kind of feeling in and i would invite um everyone listening to to take some time to just feel in to what might be lurking um on the inside the undigested terror rage and grief that if we're not in touch with if that's repressed then we become very vulnerable 
to these forces that would seek to manipulate us and uh, and keep us away from the power of the light. Um, so seeing this rising up of the spirit in the world at large um, it is very heartening to me mm. because over the past year I've had a lot of dark moments and uh, just really thinking like oh, oh you know it's all over like we're done it's the, there's you know we're headed for a thousand years of darkness and that's it but I don't feel that way now and so here we are once again approaching the solstice and we are also in eclipse season and eclipses uh, are are very powerful they occur in roughly six month cycles so it turns out that last year around the solstice we also had eclipses going on and then the the next round of eclipses took place near the summer solstice and now here we are back again in eclipse season the last uh, full moon on the 19th of November was a lunar eclipse and a lunar eclipse is considered to be the time when we want to clear away the old dead stuff and this is important because during the month of November actually starting on October the 23rd to November the 23rd the Sun is moving through the sign of Scorpio and Scorpio is the underworld so what what we ought to be doing and I think what is in alignment with the cycles of nature at this time of year is going down descending into the underworld looking into what undigested stuff there might be down there and then when we have an eclipse full moon it's the time to really dig in and scour out all that old crap and clear it out of the way as we now prepare for the solar eclipse coming up on the 4th of December and this solar eclipse occurs in the sign of Sagittarius now just to you know kind of give a scope on uh, what Sagittarius is all about so so we go to the underworld we do that cleanup kind of thing and then we we come back to a place of preparing uh, how do we now prepare then for the solstice that darkest night so to speak or the the shortest day the longest night however you want to think about it but this time from November 23rd to the solstice is when we reflect on the meaning of life um, and the meaning of the journey to the underworld and I want to just read a quick quote uh, from from Jason's book and it, talking about uh, what it means to be Promethean. He says, reason, logic, and evidence, philosophy, logical consistency, the scientific method, and empiricism are at the core of Prometheanism. These things aren't new, but they have been eclipsed, ah, eclipsed, there you go, in all but the hardest of sciences and even there the anti-whites who I think are in alignment with the forces of evil are well on their way to supplanting truth with dogma which is exactly what they've done 
and that that's the essence of the psychological warfare that's been used against us and now we have the solar eclipse coming up in Sagittarius which rules all of those things reason logic um, philosophy the seeking of knowledge wisdom and truth and, and so the solar eclipse is the time uh, when the new energy comes in and according to Edgar Casey he said that the the solar eclipse was the time when the earth's aura opened and souls come into the earth plane to incarnate now whether that's true or not I don't know but the imagery is so powerful because it's we can think of it and align with that energy as a time of receiving seeds new seeds that are coming in and making themselves available in the form of you know our uh, our mind our imagination this capacity that we humans have to become greater than what we are so this is a, this is a powerful event uh, again on the 4th of December and and then of course we have the solstice and the return of the light and the preparation for the next year and um, I suspect that the next year will be a time a lot of processing of what has taken place over the last two years so I, I think we, we have some battles ahead of us but again the spirit is rising and I think compared to just the breaking through of this Promethean spirit last year and how it has now built up steam that yes we we will be going to battle however we have many more in our ranks now many more so-called awake people um, and 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 a strength that is building and that really gives me hope and and trust actually mm -hmm. in the the long-term project of the Promethean spirit really coming into its fullness which I suspect will start to happen in um, 2023 so around the the equinox March of 2023 Pluto goes in to Aquarius so there there is Pluto the great transformer the the planet connected to metamorphosis coming into Aquarius and I would say that is the beginning of the the reclaiming really uh, of this Promethean spirit and the ending if you will of this this evil ruling order however during the next couple of years until 2025 Pluto does this little it's called retrograde motion where it goes back and forth a little bit towards the end it dips back into Capricorn and then it steps into Aquarius but the idea here is that we are we are headed for the realization this metamorphosis the realization of what it means for us as humans to embrace that Promethean spirit and and really move forward in our our evolution 
And in Lord of the Rings, I, I think that spirit is is quite um, evident in, in the the elves. So so it's like at least in my interpretation of that, it's like the elves are representative of what we are capable of. That we we have the potential to be elvish <laughs> and uh so i'm excited to see that happening i have a, I have a question before we bring mm -hmm. oliver semi-gog mm -hmm. on and we're gonna have uh oliver and laura leon together for a little bit that's always interesting mm -hmm. um but i just have a quick question that you'd said and if oliver wants to pop in once you begin answering of course we could bring him in but you mm -hmm. said something towards the beginning of when you were speaking about how it is incumbent upon us to deal with grief and terror and rage, I think is how you yeah, put it. Right. Uh, and I'm curious what you think of on the personal level, all of us as individuals mm -hmm. uh, that not that that kind of thing is ever done. As long as you're here living, there's mm -hmm. more to learn. There's more to adventure. You know, mm -hmm. there's more, to rebalance in yourself and find out blind spots you've never done. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious what you think of uh, people who are, are here listening to a show like this, mm -hmm. asking these questions and willing to look all these lies in the face. Mm -hmm. If a certain amount of personal work is usually required to have the strength to deal with that, this, the ability to even question things outside of mm. the narrative. And right. I'm curious, like you said, so this is in a few different ways, because obviously you know, we're speaking generalities here, but there are a few things going on right now in the wild. Oh, yeah. And mm. sure, they interrelate, but there's a few different things going on right now. Mm. And the, I, I guess the thing that is globally the most obvious in the news mm -hmm. is everything going around around the COVID narrative. So I'll, yeah. I'm going to, I'll ask it more in that frame, even though mm -hmm. that's not specifically what we usually talk about here. Mm -hmm. It still relates, but I, because I want to frame it this way, I'm curious what you think about the people who honestly might be good people, mm -hmm. Again, I'm talking about the COVID thing. I'm not talking about mm -hmm. when we talk about anti-whiteism. There's really there's no there's not much wiggle room there. There's not much excuse. Mm -hmm. um, but there are people who might be looking on the TV screen and just thinking they trust. I I I try to put myself in a position where you know I'm not having my own blind spots. And understand that these people who get upset about the fact that there are people who are unvaccinated and things like that, yeah, they they trust what the TV is telling them. Yeah, they think that others are putting them and their family at serious yeah. risk. Mm -hmm. You know, they they're not like uh, anyone watching this show. We all come here from different angles, from different stories. But we're all I, one of the things, the common denominators is that we're people who are willing to question authority and question the narrative. Again, that doesn't give you carte blanche to go along with a terror and violence right. and psychological warfare against 
us peoples of European descent. Uh, but I, like I said, I'll mainly keep it in the COVID thing because maybe it's a little easier to digest mm. in that frame. Mm-hmm. That there, I think there are, I'll speak for myself, but it's, I don't think it's too much to say that there are plenty of good people who are going along with this because they, ge- they just genuinely think, oh my goodness, there's this terrible health crisis and we all need to yeah. pull together and wear masks and get jabbed. So what do you, like, where do you, where do you frame the person, that kind of person right now? Are they, is it because they haven't looked at themselves in other areas of their lives or are they just not as contemplative or sensitive or willing to look at themselves and thus they just take in whatever they're told, kind of like school children being fed by the media? Uh, Is it, is it just that? It's just how things are. I mean, even though I think that it's it, very important for most of us to be questioning these things, and I'm excited as you are about as crazy as everything is, a better tomorrow, a new dawn, because of this tipping point of people waking up. I do realize when, when we've had other conversations on this show about society at large, um, you can't have a society where every single person is questioning the narrative all day because right. society's not going to work. You know, yeah. as much as we get upset with these people who go along to get along, mm-hmm. I think we all have to step back and have you know have a little compassion, not let it eat us up either. You know, hurt our souls by remembering the fact that the the world doesn't work if everyone's questioning life before breakfast every day. Right. You know, society works because because most people just get up and go to work and do what they're supposed to yeah, do. The, right. pro- the problem is what what the what you're supposed to do part. Yeah. Uh, and and how corrupt that is, and how we have mm. a leadership class that's decidedly turned against us. But I'm just curious. I know this is a long way of asking it, and if Oliver's listening backstage, of course I'd love to hear him after you speak about mm-hmm, this. I would too. We'll on in a moment. Where, where do you where do you plug in those people to this conception? Are they maybe just late adopters? Are they going to wake up eventually? What do you what do you make of that person who just watches TV and says, well, we got, you know, we got to pull together and get the jab and wear our masks. But they mean well, like they're not bad people otherwise. No, no, no. What you- well, I, I would say that what is really at the root uh, of this whole issue is uh, fear. And and it is uh, a consequence of of trauma, and I would then add that anyone, probably just about everyone in the world right now, is is in a state of fear. We've been put in this um, state of trauma based mind control, like it's pounding on it for what is almost two years now be afraid be afraid oh my god be afraid be afraid be afraid and and so it uh works to infantilize people and so when people um who you know maybe are just you know your regular humans who who don't think about depth psychology and the deeper roots of all of this um if you're constantly bombarded with this fear porn, um, it's going to affect you whether you're conscious of it or not. And I think the 
the real problem there is that most people aren't conscious of the fact that they are under the spell of, of fear. And so this is where you get into the terror, rage, and grief, the terrible triad. So we tend to like toggle, you know, if, if there's undigested trauma. And, and I would say that most people have some level of trauma in their life. I mean, it doesn't have to be super severe, you know, terrible, you know, uh, rape or war or whatever. It, it can just be things from the past, you know. Um, unresolved family system issues and so forth that that leave these little trauma wounds. And so then when we find ourselves in a situation where we are under this psychological warfare, this trauma-based mind control, then all of the, the people who, you know, maybe haven't had 20 years of therapy or delved deeply into the wounds of the past they get cast into this infantile state and tend to then project um, mommy and daddy onto the authority figures. So it becomes then, well, you know, so-and-so says we should do this and we should do that. And I don't know, cause I'm just, you know, some lowly human here, um, but I'm really, I'm afraid. Um, so that puts people into that, place where they're they're no longer really psychologically adult so they're give their power away to these authority figures whoever you know rolls out whoever they roll out to you know say okay here's the one who knows everything and is gonna take care of you uh if you surrender to their agenda and uh you know, most people are just trying to get through the day and pay their bills and look after their children. And so it's it's incredibly overwhelming to to have to think about taking on the the job of you know, digging into all the research of this and that and, you know, uh, questioning these authority figures. Um, so I think we're kind of in that sort of a dilemma. And and as I as I said before, it's this terrible triad of terror, rage, and grief. So you know, sometimes there's the the tendency to just you know you go through the all three of them, <laughs> maybe on a daily basis. But um, you know, it, it it's a circuit. So different personalities. Some people would stay in in the fear, in that terror, you know, the fight, flight, freeze thing. Other people may go into anger and rage. And or other people who, you know, according to their psychological ingredients, or maybe get stuck in the grief and become depressed and uh, you know, what's the use, you know, let's just give up kind of thing. So that's my take on that. Love to hear what you have to say, Oliver. Hello, Oliver. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, gentlemen. Very happy to be uh, with you all again. Hello, Miss Laura Lee. Hello. Jason, and Jared. Welcome, brother. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks very much. Well, uh, shall I just jump in and... Um, yeah, if you have any thoughts on... Yes, uh, please. ...what's been said. 
Yeah, I think the um, Laura Lee calling out the fight, freeze, flight aspect is a, is a great place to start because those are stress responses that, mm -hmm. of course, um, have been documented uh, across, um, you know, higher animal life, certainly among mammals. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I haven't done my my research to tell you whether or not we can see such things in, uh, for example, amphibians or lizards or whatever. But um, there's <laughs> ample, uh, ample evidence across the uh, people of fur and milk, the entire tribe of uh, mammals um, for uh, fight, freeze, flight uh, as a response. And you can sort of um, break down the way in which that natural set of responses is exploited. Um, yeah. in, in many respects with malice of forethought. So mm -hmm. think about fight. So you've got a, a crisis response, you've got a stress reaction. And so a certain proportion of the population, um, I, I would say probably males are overrepresented in this for obvious reasons are going to be like, well, it's time mm -hmm. to, um, to push back and fight against this. So mm -hmm. the target has been presented. It's the unvaccinated who are causing this mm -hmm. with their willful um, wandering away from the uh, straight and uh, honorable path of, of mm -hmm. you know, sacrificing what is whatever is necessary to keep us all safe. So, you know, sick them, boys. Um, the freeze response. Obey. Indeed, obey. <clears throat> and the, the, the freeze response is, I, I call that the squirrel. You know, squirrels are great mm -hmm. because uh, you have to look at the end of the... Um, the gesture or movement of the squirrel, whatever the darting is, suddenly it comes to a perfect freeze at the end. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and so that's the idea that you're going to disappear against the variegated background by remaining motionless. Mm, um, I and, love that. That's great. And a lot of people are going to, um, engage, uh, in that fashion. You'll find that mm -hmm. among both, uh, men and women. Um, and it's a perfectly mm -hmm. reasonable response in its evolutionary mm -hmm. context, because first thing is figure out what's going on. Stop. Don't make noise. Mm -hmm. Don't move. Conserve your energy, figure out what's happening. And then if you get a sudden adrenaline burst, you know, it might be time to fight. It might be time to flee. Mm -hmm. Um, exactly. And, and with flight, you know, that's, that's something that, um, you can often see uh, with females. Um, I did some research around the world um, looking at stress responses in cities for a big uh, um, athletic and sportswear brand. And oh. they didn't they didn't think that um, stress responses were a major part of why people worked out. And we found uh, quite the opposite as we went to different cities and different countries. You know, flight is a way very often that women who don't have like a heavy brow ridge and the heavier upper musculature, you know, they're generally not designed to be fighters. They'll, they'll take to their heels. And we found that a lot of people mm -hmm. living in an urban environment who were females, um, would uh, take up running. And I saw that in a wow. very, very striking way when, um, when uh, a friend of mine got attacked and had her neck and throat cut up by some attackers <gasps> and she picked up, uh, she survived, um, with wow. some very interesting scars, but she immediately took up long distance running. It wasn't just enough to run. She had to run, uh, sufficiently to feel that she could just keep going and wear out whoever was pursuing her. So she took up like marathon running. Um, wow. and That's you could fascinating. And you could see when people are fighting, um, you know, so to speak, when they're lifting weights, you know, they're shouting, they're dropping the metal to the ground. They're ah, huh, right. Mm -hmm. it, these, uh, these things all happen. So it's, the point is that it's biological, it's inbuilt, it has an evolutionary trajectory. Um, but that doesn't really explain why 
um, as, as Jared was asking, so many people seem to fold in the face of this. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that there are good evolutionary reasons for that, that again, I think are being exploited. So mm -hmm. if you look at the way a herd responds to a crisis, mm -hmm. it's, it's not a conscious thing that causes, for example, um, the animals at the center of a densely packed herd to sense that something's wrong and begin to bolt with the rest of the herd. There's something that passes like a ripple over that herd. Yeah. Entirely unconscious and kicks off that, um, that response. And, and you can see it even when you hear about like, you know, something crazy happened at a concert or at a rally mm -hmm. and everyone bolts and people are trampled and stomped. It's, it's not as though their, their conscious mind is operating. And it's, it's a thing that goes all the way back to, um, uh, Gustave Le Bon, he had this uh, book, The Crowd, and in it, he asserted that crowds are essentially feminine. And this ah. is not not to say that women can't be rational, et cetera, et cetera. It's, a, right. it's more like yin and yang, right? So while there are exceptions among males or females, uh, given whatever the, 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 the more common thing you find is, um, you can still say, for example, that women are more likely to have a higher pitch voice and men are likely to be bigger, right? Likewise, uh, with females, they have sort of the idea of the um, emotional response. And I've talked about this in the past, you know, how men in hunting parties, they go out and, um, and they want to read the physical signs of the environment very clearly because they have to make a determination about whether their arrow hit the deer, um, if the deer is bleeding, whether that's actually a blood spatter from the deer they wounded, because if they don't run it down, um, they're going to lose it by the time the sun goes down and no one will eat that night. Um, women, uh, conversely, and I, I probably even talked about it on this channel before, they tend to uh, set up an emotional framework of support. So as they're all working, doing their separate things, they'll, they'll do this sing song thing to each other um, where they're not really, I don't mean to be rude, but you really don't even have to pay much attention to what words they're using. Just listen to the tone of their voice. And that's why women will very often get angry at men and be like, why are you talking to me that way? And the guys are thinking to themselves, well, why aren't you paying attention to the words I used? And why are you paying more attention to the tone it was delivered in? Um, that sort of feminine aspect of the crowd that you can sort of see reflected in stampedes and that kicks off um, all of these things like fight, freeze, flight. You know, if you have an orator up there and he hits some perfect pitch with his voice and he's got them in an emotional high point and you can see him drawing up to be able to about he's about to say something and you can see the whole um crowd just sitting there eyes yeah. totally dilated like children you're telling a fairy tale to they're waiting for it they're waiting mm -hmm. they're frozen in anticipation likewise you can start to shake your fist and talk about who did this to you and they'll begin to shout and the pitchforks and torches appear um or they begin to stampede and go running in different directions in terror there's just something about human beings about crowd behavior that um kicks off this sort of response so that leaves us i'm sorry this is kind of winding but you asked um how does the crowd um come to a determination about what to do. And you, you really have to look at um, <clears throat> two things. One is how effective um, celebrity endorsement is. Oh. It's it, enormously effective. Like when we have, we have the word noble, so we'll say this is a noble person. If you go look at the roots of that in etymology, it goes back to Greek uh, gignosko. It's also the root of things like Gnostic, which is to know, to have direct experience of the mystical, right? Um, known, noble. A noble family is one that is known by others. 
So they're, they're a person from uh -huh. a place. They're not like Taylor or Cooper or, or Carpenter or Smith as a last name. They're not identified by their class. Um, they're identified by their association with a place and the, the fact that their family is known. So they'll talk about like Michel de Montaigne, right? He's of this place, right? Or sometimes they'll be known by their personal characteristics, Richard the Lionhearted, right? They are known by wide groups of people. Today, it's sort of been brought down to date, but we've got, you know, the Kardashians or George Bush or whatever. These are known faces. So when people hear something that is said by them, and they know that these people have status and standing, they're going to be more inclined to listen, which is why, you know, whatever you can say about marketing, people still love celebrity endorsements. And if you want to sell something, a great way to do it is to get someone who's known by every uh, everyone to say that they endorse it and everyone will go, ah, there's a good reason for that. So uh, then we have to go back one last layer, and I promise we'll get to the end of this. What this comes down to is that in a crisis situation, it's a it's a crisis situation. You can't experiment um, unless you're on such hard times that you're forced to. Um, you have to turn to something that is reasonably tried, to, true, and tested. And on the one hand, that is tradition. Um, on the other hand, it will be a known quantity, which is look to a known leader who has status and standing rather than just whoever this guy is on the street who might rec uh, recommend something. And what that comes down to is the risk associated with individual experimentation. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, a lot of highly intelligent people are autists who tend to mm -hmm. run on about all kinds of crazy, abstruse um, stuff that that they're like, uh, uh, I'm not even sure I understand what you're saying and your mouth is still moving and I think you're crazy, right? That's There's a reason that they even dismiss that. It's because there is risk associated with individual innovation and experimentation. Yeah. And so people are inclined to say, yeah, that's all nice and everything. Um, but, you know, this has worked for uh, hundreds of thousands of years as evidenced by tradition, or you could be someone who's into biology and, you know, selective pressure, um, uh, evolution. And you can say, look, clearly there's some aspect of it that works because selective pressure hasn't been applied and these features have uh, appeared in this group. So you can see it's R uh, selection, K selection. So there is a reason why we don't want to listen to crazy, innovative, outlier, minority opinions when we feel that we're faced with a crisis. There is a reason why we want to turn to the people who are known um, known players uh, in our group who have some standing, which you would assume corresponds to some greater fitness to react to the crisis. Um, and then you've got the, the massive unconscious uh, pressure that comes with any crisis response. It pushes you to fight, freeze, or flee. And you're going to be looking, many people are, it's going to be the minority that will think for themselves. You're going to be looking to what everyone else is doing. Because even though it's wrong sometimes, um, it, the vast majority of the time, it's a pretty good chance you need to, to, to do something. And if everybody's doing it, well, I mean, that's an option and you don't have to think too hard about it. You've got the weight of probability. So it seems of the large numbers of people doing it after the plague appeared in Europe in the middle of the 14th century, spontaneously, they had religious processions, rogational uh, processions spring up where people would wander around the city and they'd flagellate themselves or pray for forgiveness. And, mm -hmm. um, but, but look at the core reaction there. 
it, it's framed in the context of a religious response. Let's go put a priest in front because it's a terrible crisis. Let's beg God for forgiveness. But what's actually the first thing they did? They gathered together in a group and said, man, everything is really bad. It's time to walk. Now, in this case, they stayed in their general region, but the human reaction to that, the biological reaction, the mammalian reaction, like all the wildlife fleeing before an oncoming forest fire, is to yeah. get up and move. And so the vast majority of the responses that we're seeing are, are things that come straight out of uh, biology. But what happens is people who've, you know, spent quite a bit of time studying these things, like, you know, from Pavlov to Skinner to uh, right. Freud to Bernays to Le Bon to any of these folks. Um, I mean, look, look at uh, the, the great uh, guys from advertising and manipulation. Um, uh, Edward Bernays worked uh, for the U.S. government producing propaganda in World War One. So did uh, Walter Lippmann. You know, so from propaganda posters to psychological manipulation all the way back into the evolutionary roots, there's a reason for this. And, and that's the real problem that we're facing is that you've got natural responses, which it, it's, it's kind of like telling a lie where you want to keep most of it true because it makes it easier and more plausible. Uh, likewise, if you try to put a bit and bridle on let us say metaphorically, the horse of a natural biological reaction. Um, mm -hmm. you just have to you just have to tweak it a little bit and you'll get it to pull your cart. And so if that cart is to dominate populations or to introduce you know a world where everything's been built back better, ha ha ha, you know you 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 kind of wonder when people are going to realize that um that that in order to build everything back better, everything's got to be destroyed first, you know, wink, wink. Um, you know, they, they simply harness these predispositions and the result, as depressing as it is, is uh, uh, visible there before us all. Wow. Thank you for that, Oliver. That was great. Mm -hmm. w would you also say that um, the, um, there, well, it's the, the idea of there's safety in the herd, like, like something something like that okay as long as i'm in the herd uh there's some kind of safety and and does the this kind of fight flight freeze mechanism then cut us humans off from our ability to engage in creative problem solving yeah i think that's ex you've, you've tapped on a very important thing there with the second part the creative problem solving mm -hmm. uh which i myself was trying to tap when i mentioned the idea of individuals um engaging in you know um odd experiments out on the intellectual fringe yeah. risk risk comes with that like take a look at freud himself right so he had all these ideas about the best way to raise a family and um he decided that all the traditional ways had real serious problems associated with them, right? Like he would talk about how you have the desire to kill the father and take the, the mother as your wife. Like I, he came up with all these sort of, I don't know, in some cases they were tied to, um, to, uh, you know, myth and folklore. And in some cases you could say probably there are some, some aspects of that. Like, you know, if someone has a really dominating, abusive sort of mm -hmm. devouring mother 
kind of figure. They'll go off and grow up and go find a woman who more or less does the same thing for them as a wife, right? But but he comes in, so you've got the Oedipal complex, right? Or the Electra complex, or the idea that the son wants to uh, uh, supplant the father, usurp his position and kill him. Um, so that's all interesting. Perhaps it has its place when you're trying to figure out unconscious content or delusions or dream material, or you're trying to get to the root of some kind of um, some kind of uh, uh, pathological problems based on uh, mental issues. But it's it's a really risky thing to step forward and say, "Man, Freud's got these brilliant ideas. Let's just go ahead and raise a group of children totally based on his ideas." Mm-hmm. That's a risk. He's a he's a creative thinker out on the, the outskirts, and you could argue there's some things he understood um, and that do have value. I'd say for the most part, he was ripping off Nietzsche, but that's a side story that we don't have to go into. He essentially tried to basically pick up where Nietzsche left off and didn't give any credit to Nietzsche for the, the ideas he took from him, including chasing after the woman that Nietzsche had fallen in love with and having an affair with her. Um, that's that's a side note. Um you, you you have this guy, he's a creative thinker, he's out on the edge, and he comes up with these wild ideas. Yes, it might have some value, but there's risk associated with trying to apply his thinking. And if you go watch, for example, um, what is it? Uh, um, it's part of the Century of the Self series. It's the um, Manufacture oh. of Consent um, mm-hmm. documentary. They talk about the way in which Freud's ideas were taken and applied to these yeah. children, and they all ended up total wrecks and killed themselves. Whoa, so, really? Well, yeah, at least Holy one of them cow. committed suicide. There was a total oh mess. So now yeah. think about think about a situation where you have a crisis where you can't afford to screw around. Mm-hmm. Is that the time to have a creative thinker from the outskirts saying, well, maybe let's uh, look at how this spike protein stuff works. Like, I don't want to go into this in the live stream, but, you know, uh, just to, to, to tap the, the subject. The, the other thing is that instinctive responses are faster. If someone's coming up and trying to turn my head inside out with a fist and and I, and I want to think about it, right. that, that is slow. Whereas an instinctive response, I mean, that's why your eyes in the front of your skull, they're not delivering um, the sense impressions that come visually are going to arrive at your brain and be processed much faster than the other ones because the eyes are actually on two enormous high bandwidth nerve stalks that run directly into the brain. Not only are they high bandwidth, but they're physically positioned to be as close to the brain as possible. So mm-hmm. think about responding to something instinctively, and that's more like vision. And then think about like responding to what you feel down in your foot. Like if, if you wait to move your, your foot out of the way as a tiger goes to bite it, and, and you don't base it on what you visually see, but you instead base it on, you know, when the signal eventually gets to your brain that your foot's been crushed by the by the tiger's bite, you know, you're, you've got a distinct survival disadvantage. So I, I guess I tap the things there to wrap. Um, in the one case, the individual experimentation, uh, there are reasons, once again, it's a natural response that has its value that's being weaponized. You know, go listen to the celebrities because they're a known quantity. Well, you want to turn to a known quantity. Would you take advice from your mother before some stranger on the street? Yeah, there's a good reason for it. But what's happening is um, in this case, they've weaponized that to say, oh, these are just fringe people. These are just fringe people. You must listen to the science. You must listen to the science. Yeah, I, I should I should point out, though, I mean, you know, my question would originally to Laura Lee, you took it to like a group thing, which makes sense. I was speaking more about that you know, who's susceptible to it individually, you know, because she was talking about doing this introspective work prior. 
But on the group level, you know, we should point out, I don't know who knows what the real numbers are, but at least here in the States, it's very much breaking down um, along political lines, as you know, and when it's perfectly relevant to your discussion, Oliver, of the celebrity endorsement, because it's basically, it's not even about that health thing. It's about people who actually trusted CNN and Hollywood and Netflix and everyone who knows that that is a whole dog and pony show. So you're, what, we're, what, we're, what we're seeing is not really a response to COVID as such, but who you're trusting. So if we run with your sketch of listening to the celebrities, there, half of America really does listen to the celebrities, like you just said. Half of America does listen to the Kardashians and the Obamas, et cetera, et cetera. And half of America doesn't. That's I'd say half, half of America listens to one set of celebrities, or let's say 40, 43% of America listens to one set of celebrities, 43% of America listens to a different set of celebrities, and you know maybe 4% um, are irrational and take a distance and try to but look who, at it. Who, who are the 43% celebrities that are talking out against this kind of thing? I see very, very little. And they're sidelined. That that's that's fair in this particular case, but they they are sidelined, and under the circumstances where enormous, I, I would guess that under circumstances where enormous institutional pressure had not been brought to bear to say um, a toe the line, or we're going to throw you out the window, literally, we're going to smash and destroy you if you don't um, toe the line with all of this. Um, I, I, I think you would see it kind of unfold differently, but that, that, that's a fair point. Um, 43, 43 or whatever was just my being cute for any given subject. You, you could probably say that, you know, it'd probably be some kind of Pareto distribution, yeah. right? 80, 20. Yeah. I mean, the more relevant thing for us to talk about is, and it relates to what Laura Lee was speaking about. I don't know if you heard her from the beginning when she joined, but what we're, what we're living through is a changing of the guard. And what we're, I mean, we're doing what we can, what, what's in our power to do, but concurrent with that, of course, we're also hoping and watching that the kinds of celebrities and power structure that you talk about uh, shows their hand so that even among those people who do trust them and look up to them and use them as a surrogate authority figure, surrogate mommy, daddy figure, that they, they fumble it so badly that they reveal themselves to even a significant portion of those people who do trust them right now. And Laura Lee, when you talk about your yeah. what you're projecting out for- mm -hmm. I was just gonna say some things about history. projection. Yeah, yeah, that I, I think what you're touching on here is, is this issue of projection and, and how powerful that is um, as you're, describing Oliver these these characters that are presented to us um, and because they are their images their archetypes and and those archetypal characters in a sense kind of capture certain aspects uh, of our own psyche usually that which is repressed so the more 
repressed or the more parts of the self that are repressed, then the more likely certain characters, movie stars, you know, because do people really consciously separate the fact that, hey, this is just some person from the characters that they play in their movies. I I think that it's, you know, whether they believe it or not, but there's some kind of unconscious uh, inner idea that, okay, here's, you know, whatever movie star, and they played this and this and this role, therefore, they're probably like that. And so they can carry the the image or or the um, aspect of one's own inner self that isn't yet realized. So the power then goes out to these authority figures, whether they're movie stars or, you know, whoever claims to be an authority. Laura Lee, yeah, I was, I was uh, speaking about projection in that sense as well. Actually, a moment ago when I spoke, when I used the word projection, I meant it more when you were speaking about forecasting, when you were speaking about the next year and a half. Oh, I see. Okay. That there's, Mm -hmm. that we have some, as I said, we do what we can, but at the same time, one can only hope that the powers that be are fumbling and they're going to have these own goals and Uh kind of reveal themselves so severely that even a significant number of the people who do look up to them will will more and more question them and essentially their authority is going to crumble. But we're what we're hoping for is a changing of the guard. And that all these all of these things from more obvious sources of power like politicians to the subtle ways that people are influenced by the media they consume and sports and all of this mm-hmm. is that there's going to be some kind of a seismic shift in where a majority of people are putting their attention. Mm-hmm. That That's the ultimate hope is that what we're living yeah. through right now, as severe as it is, as challenging as it is, not to belittle all the real pain and confusion that people are going through is at, at the other end of this, there is going to be a different kind of leadership class and a different kind of media that, I mean, we've talked about this before, but just a whole different structure and different narrative. And again, we're doing what we can here to be on at the avant-garde of that, to be, to be pushing forward with that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we're, we're kind of watching these so-called leaders. I don't like the word elites, but I know that that's used as a shorthand. Uh, just muck it up for themselves. And I was just curious, Laura Lee, if that's the kind of thing that you were indicating earlier when you were first speaking, mm-hmm. that you you said that you didn't, you know, you've had some dark days as we all have, but ultimately you were feeling a lot more hopeful. Mm-hmm. Is this the kind of direction, what I'm speaking to now, is that the kind of direction that you were thinking in when you said that you feel hopeful? Yeah. And... and uh, what well there's a term in um evolution theory uh called punctuated equilibrium where evolution goes along and you know it's kind of you know a little bit a little bit a little bit and then boom there's some you know often a 
catastrophe of some kind that then completely shifts the whole dynamic and a whole new, uh, more complex order emerges. So, so I would say that that we we are are kind of in that kind of a process, um, certainly at the psychological level, and, and it I would say it's it's a a maturation process and moving us hopefully out of this propensity to be infantilized and you know to just follow the herd off the cliff kind of thing and and so that you know more and more people can um move beyond uh, I guess what you were describing, Oliver, is as these kind of instinctual patterns, and um, yeah, just based on all all your studies, Oliver, of um, you know animal behavior and signs and and things of that nature. What are, what are your thoughts on this punctuated equilibrium idea in terms of our human evolution at at this time? And I would just also add that why I'm thinking this way is due to these particular astrological dynamics that are emerging, uh, namely Pluto going into Aquarius, which is a major cycle change astrologically. Uh, Yeah, I think... um... Yeah, the whole idea of basically what you're talking about with punctuated uh, equilibrium, it sounds like the the old joke about, you know, little by little, then all at once. Um, that, yeah. that's, that seems to be a, a, a property of, of complex systems. And so sort of yeah, the chaos stru- theory and, and structuralist takes on things. They, they basically come in and they say, um, yeah, it's, a, it's emergent behavior, right? The, the conditions of this complex system are such that, that they arrive at this point where they create um, or they, they give rise to um, particular behaviors that are it really it all comes out of linguistics where well, and diachronic and synchronic, the idea that um, I'm not going to go into that. The, the, the point is that um, there is the idea of a complex system that of its very nature, based on the, the structures or the elements of the structures and the relationships between them, they will give rise to a certain thing over time. Right. So, you know, prepare, uh, prepare a, a field in a certain way over a long enough period of time, um, then a certain kind of seed is likely to land in it and grow. Right. Um, sort of that kind of thing. Um, and, and, and that's a very a structuralist take. So you'll see like the NRX guys and mold bug and all of that. They'll be like, um, yeah, what's what's happening here? There is no centralized conspiracy. This is just what happens when you have a system of this sort with the various interlocking elements, and it, it gives rise to this type of person, um, or to um, our immediate circumstances of this sort, or whatever. Right. So you could say um, it makes perfect sense to imagine that the Black Plague, to come back to that, since I mentioned it earlier, it appeared in the the 14th century in Europe because Europeans weren't very clean. Right. You don't have to say that, 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 um, and then there was just bad luck with a ship coming from China or whatever, you know, or, you know, uh, people in the far East kept their pigs in the same building that they slept in, you know, they stabled their animals to keep them warm, whatever. That's, that's, that's a a property that emerges from these set of constraints within the system. Um, that is real. It absolutely is. And it's a feature that we have to be aware of, uh, for how things, uh, happen. Um, 
However, you've also got um, people who do uh, make plans. It's like the old joke my friend Tim used to say, only the, uh, only the, the, po the poor conspire, uh, the rich simply make plans. Um, and then you have like the more complicated arrangement, which is what if you're a group of very rich people capable of planning ahead, very rich, powerful and influential people, and you can create the circumstances. You could say the system naturally gives rise to this. Okay, but who created this system? Right. It's there's there's very much a thing that we have to armor ourselves against to some extent, I think, which is the vestigial idea of progress as being inevitable. Um, and it's progress in quotes and it's always inevitable. There's nothing we can do about it. It's perfectly natural that um, that drag queens are now reading stories to your kids because that's progress and progress cannot be changed or avoided. It simply pushes forward. It's 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 a force of nature, you know. Um, that sort of thing is there where certain things develop. You know, we could see it in the historical record over time. Um, you know, certainly like in society, you can see that there are, there's a, a tendency for people to um, try to incorporate more and more under centralized control. You know, so you could say that that's a property that does occur. But with your punctuated equilibrium model, uh, after a certain point, it sort of begins to collapse under its own weight. You have the fall of empires, you have, you know, regional right. stuff rise up in the background. So, so I think what you're talking about is, is, is very real and that it does happen. Um, but at the same time, I am not the sort of person to just totally write off the idea that there are all, also people who sit down in meetings and that they, they don't conspire. They simply make plans. And, um, and, and that brings us around to what Jared was talking about sort of with, um, elites and, and we could get into defining elites another time, but let's just assume that there's a relatively small proportion of people in any given human society at any given time that wield outsized influence, um, and control over events. You know, it might be an oligarchy in ancient Athens, right? It could be, um, a priestly class in, um, <clears throat> Sassanid Iran. It doesn't matter. Um, the point is that a relatively small number of people are going to be responsible for introducing the changes that we face. And so while on the one hand, and I'll wrap this up, on the one hand, we can sort of wait for the circumstances to emerge that lead to the kind of changes that we all hope for. On the other hand, there's always a minority that wields outside influence, out, excuse me, outsized influence. And so it would seem to be prudent on our part to not only, um, you know, sort of trust in God and keep your powder dry, like Cromwell said, um, we should also try to create, to foster and push forward and advance our own elite with the understanding mm, that absolutely. at a certain point, that group is going to be in a better position to make the kind of changes we want to see happen. When the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not mine, Hunter S. Thompson. Anyway, we have for Null here. I don't know if either of you would like to hang out for a minute, but you're welcome to stay. But uh, we do want to hear from for Null. Anything for Null you might want to talk about? I don't know if you were listening for a few minutes and had any commentary, or if you want to totally switch gears and just talk about uh, what kind of food that you ate yesterday for our American Thanksgiving. <laughs> but our good friend, musician, and producer extraordinaire, our friend and yours, for Null is here. Welcome and happy Thanksgiving. Hey, how's it going? Happy Thanksgiving, Jared and Jason. Happy and, Thanksgiving, brother. Yeah, good to see you. And Simi Agog and Lorelai, hello. Hello. Yeah, hey, hey. Uh, no, I have nothing to add to 
any of that. I was kind of only half paying attention, to be honest. I'm working in the background while I was waiting, so no I was surprise. listening, but not no. hard enough to uh, form thoughts about it. <laughs> no, no, not surprised that you're working on something, always uh, working, always tinkering. Is it anything you can tell us about? Is it, is it music related? Is it... 3D graphics, uh, is it video. It's a website. No, nothing, nothing really interesting. Just some, uh, just something I've been tinkering with. Uh, the, to it has to do with the YouTube API and just playing around with that and uh, working on a, a database and and just yeah, experimenting with some stuff. Oh my God, I almost look like a laser pointer hit your window behind you, Jared. Yeah, there's a red, that was weird. There's a lightsaber fight going on behind me. But yeah, or somebody's got a, <laughs> their sights on your window. Yeah, I think um, it was just a yeah car that light. was kind of freaky. <laughs> What'd you say? I think it was just a car light, actually. When, when we oh, did okay. uh, the Who We Are video a couple of years ago, um, there was a part where I forget. I forget who was being quoted, but talking about European peoples in general said, someone said that we are ceaseless tinkerers and you, you fit that bell very well. You're like, you're like a digital media tinkerer for an all always doing things <laughs> like with, with websites and apps and music and 3d graphics and video. This guy's a wealth of information. Uh, you might know that we collaborated on a song together last month. We were celebrating that the last time we did one of these multi-guest streams on Halloween about a month ago. Uh, anything you want to tell us about, um, you know, there's different kinds of food. I was talking about this with my family yesterday, Thanksgiving. Around, um, around America, you get a lot of, you could see a lot of the different regionalisms when you break down what people have, especially the side dishes. We know the turkey's standard, but the sides. Mm. Um, how, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great. Yeah, we just, um, well, my kids were visiting the other relatives. So it was just me and Mrs. Fornall, and she made us a little mini feast. We just had a, a turkey, of course. And, but she just got like a, a big breast, you know, and baked that. So not a whole turkey. And we had uh, green beans with bacon um mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce i think that was it do you, yeah. anyone here do uh mac and cheese i think that's that's bigger in the south oliver i know you're you're down in the south you do absolutely yeah. the best mac and cheese is mighty see uh i like mac and cheese <laughs> but i i don't that's not that's never been served at the thanksgiving table where i'm from and I know people are big on green beans and often cut bacon in, just like Mrs. Fornall did. But I've never had green beans on Thanksgiving either. It's always peas. The green is peas. Peas with onions. Cranberry sauce, though. Yeah, we used to do mac and cheese. My aunt would always make the mac and cheese. And, like, she knew I loved it. So she would always be looking at me, like, with this devilish grin, like, I got the mac and cheese, you know, and I'm going, all right. And then I had to eat twice as much as I wanted just to make her feel good about it. But yeah, I, <laughs> but I, it tried, didn't hurt. I tried hey. to, yeah, Laura Lee. I, I was just going to ask, is there um, 
like what it what exactly do you mean by mac and cheese is there sort of a traditional combo macaroni and cheese dish um either one of you gentlemen want to want to educate our canadian friend here yes <laughs> oh, well with well, ours it's it was uh, uh, like regular macaroni and then um i don't know maybe uh cheddar cheese and and or the four cheese blend you know and you just bake that so you put all that in a like a casserole huh there's different ways to do it but my, my mom would do again not on thanksgiving never been Thanksgiving, but kind of gets crusty up top but then it's all gooey and the cheese is melting exactly with the pasta under it yeah and the mm. crunchy part's mm -hmm. really good too so the best of the best comfort yes. food designed to uh yeah to to knock you flat down with heart attack or stroke within like 10 minutes of eating it i love it I know, well take... what about dressing up the macaroni and cheese with um like other stuff is it that needs, not acceptable it, it needs no tarting up Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll trust you on that. <laughs> no, there are other ways that people do other things that are sort of similar to it that turn it into other dishes. I mean, it's not really, I mean, if you were to add um, tomato sauce and, and, and ground beef, for example, it'd sort of be moving into lasagna land, you know, but, uh, okay. but mac and cheese in and of itself, it's, it's intended as a side um, in most, you know, uh, most people yeah. aren't going to eat it. Um, as any kind of like central dish so it sort of stands on its own like collard greens or black eyed peas or you know that kind of thing yeah it does it uses different cheeses laurely than an italian dish i know it sounds very italian like oliver said if you just add tomato sauce it sounds like it would be just pasta and cheese but unlike it's not provolone or uh you know, different italian cheeses parmesan it's generally cheddar and then, mm -hmm. like Cornell said, you could get different uh, different mixes. Yeah, I mean, they you know you could you go to certain restaurants and they have like gourmet mac and cheese with Gruyere and this and that, like fancy cheeses. And some of those some of those gonna be really good. It's definitely a stick to your ribs kind of thing. Like Oliver said, it probably takes more energy out of you <laughs> than it gives you. <laughs> nap, nap time as soon as you've had the proper dose um yeah. like for was talking about how he had to eat more in order to keep the family members happy it's definitely <laughs> it's one of those nap time things you're like okay let me just see if i can make it over to the sofa before i i pass out carb yeah. coma yeah. i don't i don't know if either uh, any of you guys do this let me know i i find myself consciously making sure i go back to the turkey often because all the sides Otherwise, and the Thanksgiving meal, the American Thanksgiving meal are starches, really, carbs. And, I, you know, they taste great, but I don't eat that way normally in my day to day. You know, you do little things differently for the holiday. And um, but I want that protein of the turkey. I'm like, I remind myself, like, keep going back to the turkey and have. Because you have like this part of your plates, the turkey. But then if it's a pie chart, there's all this other there's the Two types of potatoes we have in peas, which are green, but they're you know it's a little different with peas. Maybe you should do I should do green beans like uh, like you do for and all. And oh, you know, we stuff. had dessert too. We had Probably. a medieval treat. Uh, it was it was like a baked pear with cinnamon on it. That was pretty good too. It's That's real simple, you know. But it said medieval treat on the recipe. Who knows if that if they just 
said that to make it sound cooler, but you yeah, uh, you you just wanted to be able to say that on the after party. You're like, honey, let's yeah. have a medieval retreat. So I can it's not it's not medieval unless you have like jesters dancing in front of you while you eat it and people playing like flute music and like engaging in, you know, hand to hand <laughs> yeah. combat to to entertain you for your meal, you know. Did you it stab sounds like it that video dagger? you can dance. We can dance, you know, right. <laughs> with the jester dancing around. Right. Man. Did they have pears in medieval times? I, I, I don't imagine. Don't I, question. I, don't question the the marketing, Laura Lee. We <laughs> given what we were talking about earlier, did you yeah, stab the pear with a dagger for an all, and then just <laughs> take a bite yeah, out of it? No. <laughs> right. Throw throw the bones over your shoulder to the uh, to the dogs. Yeah. Uh, yes, like a, the pear bones. Crap. Right. Well, these are medieval right. pairs, so they still oh, had bones oh. in them back then. For no, that's how you could have made it medieval. You could have been eating the pear, but on the other hand, the big turkey bone, just all, all the oh, yeah. Bone. <laughs> well, I, I, actually, but I yeah, have not. Uh, yeah, I, have, I have not eaten yet, guys. So this talk is actually, believe it or not, I did not eat a ton yesterday, and I have uh, some things calling to me in my refrigerator. I think I might just have to go eat now as a result of this talk about mac and cheese. But the good yeah. news is that I can I can make room for uh, other people coming in as well. But that I sounds good. We have we have Yiz coming up, and I'm very curious to hear about. Um, what Happy Thanksgiving, doing. Oliver. Happy yeah. Thanksgiving, Oliver. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Happy. Happy Thanksgiving to all y'all, and um, I give my best to Yiz as well, that wild, wild, wild Yiz from the eastern reaches of Tennessee, and I will catch you guys again soon. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, Oliver. Thanks, Enjoy Oliver. Great talking yeah. to you. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I think I better uh, hit the road pretty quick, too. Um, so right, well, I will good. take my leave. <laughs> thank well, you thank so you much. It's been great, and you guys have a great rest of your stream here. We will, Hello, and Lorley, is... I, <laughs> Lorley, I, I want to. I really want to thank you for quoting uh, from my book. That is very meaningful to me. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, great! Well, I I would encourage everyone to read Prometheus Rising. So there you go. Your homework for the next uh, few months, everyone. <laughs> All right. Have, have a great evening. Thanksgiving. Bye for now. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. It's a shame I didn't get to talk to Oliver before he left. He's always fun. I like him. Happy Thanksgiving, yes. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. I hope you're all well. So you might have been listening for the last few minutes and know that we got on the subject of food. Hard uh -huh. not to talk a little about food when we're talking about Thanksgiving. So what was on your menu? Uh, we don't really like turkey. So we did roast barbecue chicken, uh, a giant meatloaf. We've got mac and cheese, shells and cheese. Uh, we've got uh, barbecue baked beans. I think green beans. We got some of those left too. And my cousins brought a bunch of stuff. And my husband's dad made a bunch of stuff too and brought us some kind of ice cream cake. I've not even looked at it yet. We still, <laughs> we still have like three days worth of food left. But that's what it's like around here. Yeah. It's a, it's a four day thing. That's cool. So you you had chicken I, and a meatball. we started we started Monday night because we make a, what we do is the week of Thanksgiving. Me and my cousins and friends and family we visit each other's houses all week, trade food, hang out, get together, and help each other all put up Christmas decorations. That's so it's kind of like a, a a family community thing that we do. So um, my mom's house is done. My cousin's house is done. We don't really do much here at my husband's house, but we're pretty much done already. 
So it was, it was good, but uh, I'm a haggard because I've been working like 12 hours a day with this new contract I got. So I'm just, I'm beat from having to talk loud all day long and suck down exhaust and carry stuff in and out in the cold. I'm just beat. Well, we appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Uh, that's fine. I just got done. Uh, usually I get done around this time each night. So uh, it coincided perfectly with me uh, just getting in the door and uh, getting out of my dirty work clothes and relaxing for a minute. Well, we appreciate it. Are you going to, like Oliver, when you get off with us, are you going to go have yourself a nice plate? Almost oh, certainly. I haven't eaten for like eight hours. I'm starving, so uh, I, oh, I can't man. wait. I don't well, think I'm going to sample that ice cream cake. I'm not big into sweets and ice cream, but uh, there's going to be a meatloaf and mac and cheese and ketchup with my name on it. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smother it good because I have no taste. Yeah, you should have talked. You should have talked to. You should have talked to Oliver, but I know you two are old friends. Because he would. <laughs> Do you put you put the ketchup on the meatloaf or also on the mac and cheese? No, I, I was mostly making a joke about uh, hillbillies and rural people just putting ketchup on stuff for no reason, and uh, it was mostly a joke. But we do like to use a a, a ketchup based paste on our meatloaf that we make. Hey, it works on meatloaf. Yeah, I'm and not, I'm... I I like ice cold ketchup with shells and cheese, like just just like a little bit of it, just to dip and get like a a cold tomato taste with the mac and cheese. That's really good. You should try it sometime. That wor that works. Hey, I'll, as Oliver said, if you have tomato sauce in the Italian, you know, pasta cheese, mm -hmm. you, you could put a little ketchup on mac and cheese. That works. Oh, it's it's really good if you have a uh, like a really nice marinara or some kind of red sauce that you use for cooking your pasta with. That's really good with mac and cheese too. I can attest to that. Is that what he was talking about? Putting pasta sauce with yeah, mac he, and cheese. He, is that I mean, he's like, I don't want to speak for Oliver, especially on a subject that, of this gravity, but he seemed to be of the opinion that mac and cheese stands on its own. You don't need any condiments. You don't need any sauces. It's, it has everything it needs. It's a, it's a world unto itself. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll have to get a little mac and cheese debate going in the, uh, in the, in the chat. I is, is there, Jason is there any mac and cheese? Oh, so mac and cheese made out of meat. That's what I want to know. <laughs> what? what was that, Jason? Sorry. Is there any mac and cheese that's made out of meat? Because then I would be interested. Yes. the the uh, The mac and cheese that I make is uh, Velveeta shells and cheese, and I dice up country ham, and I cook it together. I mean, I cook it separate before I put it together, so the ham gets nice and charred and burnt. And then when it softens up in the mac and cheese, it's like a hybrid of country ham and bacon, but in the mac and cheese, or in the shells of cheese, mm. it's really good. You'd probably like it. Maybe, I but Jason wants just meat. Maybe if we take the mac and cheese out of it and just leave everything oh. else that you said there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> country ham's yeah. a good breakfast. Sometimes that's all I'll eat. So. Yeah, yeah. Do you focus, Jason, just on the turkey? Oh yeah. Well, when it comes like to the when it comes to the carbs, I'll, I'll take like one bite of each of the carbs, and uh, but then the main focus is obviously on the meats that are present. Well, you're yeah, a that's what I was saying before. And, and I'm just I'm just kind of a slouch, and I'm fat, so I get to eat carbs if I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. That I try to I try to keep it balanced because. The meal, the Thanksgiving meal itself, is so carb heavy. So I try to I try to take two bites of turkey for every bite of carbs. I don't oh, quite do it. I certainly don't eat like this all year. It's just no. it's just a few occasions. So 
No, no, no. But yeah, it seems like, okay, so you both have mac and cheese. I don't have mac and cheese with Thanksgiving. I have it other, I, I don't really have it that much, but other times in the year, but not, not Thanksgiving. Not Thanksgiving. Jason, do they serve mac and cheese when you go to family gatherings for Thanksgiving? Actually, no. Uh, we we have you know noodles, dumplings, green beans, obviously lots of turkey, uh, dark and uh, light meat, and lots of ham, and uh, a range of stuffing, and just just a range of things. But I haven't had. Maybe we've had mac and mac and cheese available a couple times, but that's not uh, that's not the norm. So you do ham as well. Yes. Oh, there has to be ham. I love you. Someone will be hurt if there's to eat. Ham. To eat of the swine is most divine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, yeah, we, I just I grew up with one meat, just turkey, and then you get the ham at Christmas usually. Well, me, me, and my cousin aren't really a fan of turkey, and about half of us don't really like it one way or the other so we usually do you know, barbecue chicken uh sometimes pulled pork uh occasionally we'll have a, a big uh piece of venison or something somebody's prepped i thought we were going to have venison this year but it all got packaged and frozen we didn't have any thawed but for no uh, yes sir do you mix meats or just straight up turkey on thanksgiving uh well this year just turkey but yeah when it was um, you know, when everyone was still around, not to sound morbid, but, you know, when the, the whole family would gather and there was a lot of us, uh, there would be, yeah, all kinds of stuff. I mean, so many dishes that you'd have to have two plates, you know, to get a little bit of everything and you'd just be sick from eating so much, but yeah, ham, ham for sure. Yeah, and, uh, no benefit though. Huh? I guess I'm in the minority here. Um, I've never been around a Thanksgiving that had multiple meats. None of this mixed huh. meats. Yeah. Really? Just hmm. turkey. Yeah, just turkey, and then different sides. Huh. Like well, yeah. just ham. I I don't know if people are getting hungry in the chat. I don't. Know if <laughs> I'm certainly hungry. I'm starving. I just realized I didn't have stuffing this year. I knew something was missing from the from the combo okay that that is rare like almost every thanksgiving yeah uh, not even at my house but everywhere i go almost everybody has at least a cheap box of stovetop made up but you didn't have any this year no and i i i thought something a flavor was missing uh, i but i was just so happy that we had it anyways because we didn't have any family over so it was super cool that mrs fornall just whipped up a thanksgiving oh, cool. meal but yeah, now I'm realizing I missed out on some stuffing. I'm gonna have to. I think you might have to next time this weekend. You have to come. You have to come visit my mountain holler. Bring the missus. Okay. You, you'll have all the Thanksgiving leftovers to take home. You can eat. There you go. Cool. I'll you call it <laughs> mountain holler. I pictured like this little out like Hobbit alcove or something. That's kind of how we live out here. Yeah. You should come visit one day. <laughs> I mean, not not in a hole in the ground though, like a Hobbit. Well, sort of. I mean, a, a lot of people's homes are, are half built into hills and they have like underground wine cellars and bunkers and stuff. Like it's, it's kind of prep country out here anyway. So, so nice. that, that when you say a hot, like when you say a holler, yeah, 
Is it it just be like my 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 place, like my house, my location, or does that have a more specific context? It has a more specific context. It means my neck of the woods, my neighborhood, that kind of thing. Because most people around here, the way the housing's built and the way people just sort of gravitated in the last, I guess, couple hundred years, is every holler has a little road or two that goes up it and different family clans had land. And then they would sort of be their own little community with their own little corner store, their own little barber, that kind of thing. And it's when you say holler, it kind of means like uh, my neck of the woods or uh, the neighborhood I I'm, I live in in the city or the suburb or uh, the block I live in in the city or whatever. That's kind of how a holler gets used colloquially. Yeah, that's interesting about the, this, the, this little like area though, where there were a few families, yeah. I guess, from original settlers, and then there's you have your your little store and barbershop. It's like mini towns. Like, well, a lot of those have closed down in the last ten years. Like the, the modernization of things has kind of killed a lot of small businesses. But then again, it's kind of things have kind of moved on when it comes to the small businesses. There are so many of them that have had been boarded up since I was a kid around here. It's kind of sad, mm-hmm. but. A lot of them still stand, at least. So, you know, we can still talk about them. But the uh, the the longer the reach of the interstates, the longer the reach of the corporations come. And uh, nobody can really compete with Home Depot and McDonald's. So hmm. <laughs> that's just how it goes. How far drive are you to the nearest Home Depot? Uh, 35 minutes, 30 minutes. Not too awful long. But hmm. that's because uh, out of a holler and over a hill, uh, I can get on a, a primary interstate and there's a lot of small townships and cities not too far from here. So even though I do live in the boonies, it only takes me like 20 or 30 minutes to get to anything. So mm-hmm. it ain't too far out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. That, but that, that word holler definitely paints a certain picture. So I get it now. Good. Good. Holler. Well, y'all, y'all should come visit me one day. You'd love it here. It's beautiful. I can show you the family land. I can show you where I grew up show you some of these old closed down businesses and take you to, to churches that have been here since uh, the war between the States and just show you some local heritage if you want. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I could even take you to the, uh, the historic uh, little township. I got to walk through with sister Dresden and uh, Mm. I can show you where we went. It was a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah. It just has a certain coziness to it. Hot, like Mm -hmm. come visit my, you like you, you always say that when you're on the show, but I've never asked you about it. Like, come to my yeah. mountain holler. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know, come see where I live, meet my folks, meet cousins, that kind of thing. Like, come on up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've heard it before. You've said it, but I never. Uh, now we got into like the etymology, not the etymology of it, but we got under the hood of it a yeah. little bit more. I watched this show on YouTube called uh, Whippoorwill Holler. And I didn't mm-hmm. know what that holler part was until now. So now I understand yeah. why they call it that. That's yeah. like their little neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. You know how like in big suburbs around cities, they'll have like, oh, this is Shady Grove. And it's like, you know, two little roads and like 50 homes. Uh-huh. And that's called, you know, Shady Wood or whatever. That's kind of how holler is used out here. Huh. Yeah, that's like, cool. It, it, before suburban developments, this was this was the original you the, that was the real deal and now <laughs> i don't know how original it is but maybe in america well I don't know. It, yeah before it's definitely more original than suburban developments and little cul-de-sacs oh sure yeah with, definitely with uh, mcmansions and things like that 
<laughs> yeah. So for, for no, you don't live in a holler. You don't. You, you didn't. No, I don't live in a holler. I don't even know what you call where I live. Kind of was the suburbs at one time, but you know, just that sprawl keeps happening. So that's what I call cookie cutter America, because you can go about anywhere, and that's about the same. <laughs> Yeah. At least yeah. that's my experience driving cross country a lot. So, I, yeah. yeah. Well, we have Carissa from Hearth and Helm is about to jump on. Oh, I'll oh, drop hi, out. Carissa. Thank you. Hi, Carissa. Thank you. Would for you like me to depart now? Would you like me to yeah. take well, my that, no. Oh, you're welcome to stay for a minute, for a few minutes. I'll um, say, and I'll happy say Thanksgiving to you, Fernal. Thanks, yeah, you guys. Thanksgiving happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for having happy me on. We'll talk to you later. Thanks I'll say howdy to Carissa, then I'll shove off too because I'm really hungry. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, Carissa. Happy Thanksgiving, or belated Thanksgiving, rather. Happy do Thanksgiving. You, uh, do you, I don't know if you've been on for a few minutes, but we're all we're, everyone's getting each other hungry by talking about food. Do yeah. you? Uh, oh yeah. Well, I was really interested in hearing about the holler and. <laughs> Thing. Oh, okay. I got well. very, uh, yeah, no, that was interesting. I enjoyed hearing it all. We're well, gonna... the, the way I grew up, it might as well have been 1920 out here. It was, it's really, really homey and cozy up here. I, I love it. That's no, it's, it, we live in rural Appalachia, so it's, it's really Ooh. rural and cozy here too. So Good. we enjoy it. <laughs> I live on the border of uh, Virginia and Tennessee. How about you? Um, I'm in North Carolina, Western North Carolina. Oh, that's one, so that's really not the, not terribly far. Yeah, that's mm. some of the most beautiful place in 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 all the Appalachian Mountains. It's right there on the on the border of Tennessee and North Carolina, uh, going through the mm -hmm. was it Blue Ridge Parkway? Is that what they call it? Where you drive yeah. through there? Yeah, God, I love I love that. Yeah, there's I some beautiful that in years. I should go back. No, it's it's really magical to go up there. Yeah. You can do some hikes up there, and it's like you're in Middle Earth, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I said to Jared, "Yeah, it is like hobbits here." <laughs> yeah, no. Blue, yeah, no, it I is. I know about Blue Ridge Mountains a bit, and they are gorgeous. Yeah, you'll definitely feel like you're out of a a Tolkien novel, and and some of the places for sure. Carissa, do you do? Do you? <laughs> we're gonna break down your table, your Thanksgiving table. Do you do the the mac and cheese as well as a side? No, I actually n never even heard of mac and cheese as a side for Thanksgiving um, until, I don't know, yesterday when you just see the, the things of like, you can only take away one Thanksgiving side dish or something. Um, now, I've never done it, but I mean, I enjoy mac and cheese. So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it at all. Mm. See, this is, this is interesting. I was beginning to think that it was like, it was ubiquitous across the South, but perhaps not. Now it's even more of a mystery as to where mac and cheese shows up on people's Thanksgiving. Jared's going to open up a true crime channel, uh, tracing the uh, colloquial appearance of mac and cheese on Thanksgiving tables. Yeah, cut, cut <laughs> we're going to do a neat dive, says Jared. <laughs> yeah, when I'm, when I'm when I'm winding down the music career and, and I'm uh, like hosting ELC style shows or something, <laughs> when we actually. <laughs> people who think like us run the media uh yeah i'll do some kind of benign show about we're going to trace down america's thanksgiving traditions <laughs> and I'm try these different dishes in different regions but what where, where, where does mac and cheese show up where does it not we've got to 
You've got to do that when you go on like a tour or something, when you're just yeah. going yeah, across yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I eat big on the off nights when I'm not performing. But what kind of uh, what kind <laughs> of sides? What, so what kind of sides do you do in your household? We could stick on the food topic while we have everyone salivating in the audience. No, we did, um, you know, traditional turkey, mashed potatoes, um, sweet potato casserole. Um, I did some asparagus and Brussels sprouts with a nice balsamic glaze. I did a sourdough stuffing, um, and Ooh, I did sourdough rolls. Nice. I made an orange cranberry sauce. I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything. Um, sourdough stuffing. I feel like I am. It's like, so, oh, it's it's. Good. It's very decadent. I, I did everything. I mean, which I usually do, but I did everything from scratch and did like the sourdough bread the day before on Tuesday and baked it on Wednesday and let it soak in just buttery goodness for a while and did bone broth to do the, um, to let all the, the bread soak after you kind of dry it out and with some carrots wonderful. and celery and yeah, it's just that nice uh, kind of tanginess that sourdough gives with just the mm. rich, buttery goodness of um, stuffing. <laughs> and, well, um, on that delicious goodness. note, I think I want to say bye because I'm really hungry. I want to go spend time with my family. And <laughs> eat, oh my. So. Well, thank uh, you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank you for having me Happy on. Thank you, guys. thank you guys for the wonderful community. Nice to talk to you, Carissa. Maybe we'll talk it again. It was nice meeting day. you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye -bye. Enjoy the Happy rest of your weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. All the best to you and yours. So do you have uh, do you have a lot left over? Do you, do, do you live near family? Like you was saying, they kind of visit each other this whole week. Is it extended at all? Or was it just, is it focused on the Thursday for you right now? For, for us, it's a Thursday. My, my husband and I don't come from super large families. We're kind of trying to, to reinvent that with our own family. But we did have the probably the best Thanksgiving this year. We, I hosted my largest Thanksgiving ever. It was about 15 people plus children here. And, I mean, we have a pretty about a 1,000-square-foot home, so nothing major or anything. And um, it was just really fun. Um, we... I guess probably the monumental moment, which I think is just important to get out there with people is a friend that I worked with many years ago and we've just stayed in touch. And the last year they've really woken up to the anti-white agenda with a lot of things. And they finally have kind of crossed that threshold into some of the more uncomfortable truths that are out there. And um, they've been feeling very isolated and alone and, my husband was the one that actually was like, well, let's invite them. And they had such a great time and it just really made them feel less alone out there. And I think it's important just for our folk to come together and do things like that. Um, and then we had another like-minded couple with their children come. Um, they drove four or five hours to come for Thanksgiving, which was really nice. And then we had my side of the family here because they live locally and it was just a, a really great time. So I think it's important for us to, you know, come together in these times and especially those people that are just kind of awakening to everything and the anti-whites to make them, you know, come home and feel like they, they aren't alone in their thoughts. That's that's probably one of the worst things. I think we've all maybe been there on our, our journeys of awakening and um, yeah. That is monumental. It's fantastic to hear. And, and 15 people, that's, 
no small feat. So my hat's off to you. I saw some of your prep on Instagram. This yeah, <laughs> making me hungry as yeah. uh, all this talk is now. I'm still yeah. about the and also, stuffing. Also, oh yeah, no, that stuffing was. I'm not really a stuffing fan, but it's it's a really um, it's really decadent. I I highly recommend sourdough <laughs> stuffing. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of prep work. I did I did most of it on Wednesday and got everything to the point of putting it in the oven yesterday, and it just made the day better because also when I got to enjoy it and not just be solely in the kitchen all day on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So it was just mainly doing the veggies and the turkey and just made the day really easy to, to do all of that. But it was, it was fun. It was very rewarding. I tried supporting all the local farms to getting all my ingredients and there was no packaging or pre-processed things or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's important as well. A lot of, a lot of love went into everything, which is important. I'm sure. Did you make everything for everybody? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I didn't do desserts. I told everybody to bring desserts. I'm like, I'm not doing desserts if I'm doing all this. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Yeah, that that's impressive. I was thinking along the same lines as Jason. I was like, uh, I know we spoke to you back in the summer, and I for, I forget exactly, but I think your your children are probably too small to be helping yet. So I was going to ask similar to what Jason asked about. Uh, it all fell on you. Wow. I hope those desserts that your friends brought were good. Yeah, they were. No, it, nobody, nobody left hungry. And uh, yeah, it was, it was good. And it's, it's fun. I, I want my kids to remember me, you know, in the kitchen and, you know, coming and helping and, hmm. and everything. And now we're just kind of transitioning into the Yule spirit over here too. Yes. So it's, it's nice. I think tomorrow we're going to go gather a lot of greenery outside and make a lot of our, Yule decor, just going outside and getting a lot of the pine and evergreens and drying oranges and apples and cranberries and just bringing a lot of nature elements into the home. That's what I really like to do with the, especially from winter and spring months to, to do that. Yeah. Do you have a tree yet? Do you put it up right after Thanksgiving or do you wait a little? We did. We did. We actually got a tree today, which was, which was great. I, I wanted to have it done before Thanksgiving, but I just, I didn't have time to. I wanted to really have the house all decked out for, for Yule, but just time, you know, didn't just get into it, but hopefully this weekend. I, I just saw something that came up that uh, our friend bass guitarist is in the chat and he said that he's never heard it called stuffing until this year. Jason and well, and Carissa, you're both from the South. He said that you'll hear what we call, what I know is stuffing as called dressing, at least in some parts of the South. Yeah. Have, have, you, heard either, have you heard of that? I have. Yeah. I've heard it Carissa? called dressing as well. I thought, I thought that was more of a Midwest thing, hmm. but maybe, maybe not. I mean, I've lived in the South my whole life and everybody's always called it stuffing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, stuffing. bass guitarist. If you want to say uh, at least like the region or state maybe you grew up in, if you know if you're comfortable doing that, I'm curious. I've never heard of that until tonight. You're teaching me something new. When I lived in Chicago, a lot of people called it dressing. Um, hmm. So that's why I was like, maybe it's a, a Midwest, Midwest thing, but I don't know if that's like a soda versus pop type thing. <laughs> right, right, right. We had we threw in a little cornbread on the side this year, so that was. It's a little more southern, I would think. I, corn. I, I'm a I'm a cornbread fan. 
And Jason, I'm with you about oh. you know, got to watch the carbs. But but if you <laughs> Delicious, uh, but... if you're gonna if you're gonna let go a little bit on a holiday like this, the cornbread was actually a nice touch. I don't have any yeah. corn with eggs, like cornmeal pancakes. Something about corn flour and eggs goes so well together. Yeah. But any uh, and it tastes so much we... like corn. What was that? It does. Oh, no, I was gonna say cornbread just stays really like it stays really fresh and well for a while, and like kind of just your regular rolls that get kind of mm. hard. And I ended up giving the rest of them to the chickens today just because they're not really that great the next day. But cornbread's really yummy. Mm, mm, yeah. Is there a before we bring on the, the final guest? We're just curious if because you have a young family, if there are any, any traditions maybe you have being passed down or you're starting yourself for Thanksgiving or maybe the Yuletide coming up that you want to mention or highlight? Um, Thanksgiving, nothing really, just, I mean, probably the traditional spread and just really emphasizing, you know, the gathering of family and, you know, um, the, the, the reason for the, the holiday and the season. Um, Yule, I look forward to. We do a Krampus night because we, we are, we follow oh. Ossetrue and we just think it's fun to, we do where, um, which we'll be doing next week. I think it's the, the fifth. Um, my little one, she'll put carrots in her boots for Odin and Slepner to come. And, you know, it's kind of if she's been good, then they leave, we usually leave a pair of organic cotton pajamas and a winter themed book. And, if not, then there's Krampus, but I mean, of course, Krampus isn't going to come, but we do have a really nice book on, on Krampus. That's a, a children's themed book. And so uh, last year she was a little scared of it. So maybe this year she might be a little mm. bit more into it, but um, That's I look cool. forward to that tradition. Yeah. Do you do yeah. that on St. Nicholas day on December 6th? Yeah. 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 The is. night of the fifth, sixth. Yeah. Sixth. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I mean, I've seen stuff about yeah, Krampus. Gonna... But I haven't heard people actually like bringing it back yet. Yeah, I know it's a lot of fun. Last year she was she was into it, and this year I think she'll be even more into it. She's three this year, so I feel like there's just so much more imagination there mm. and everything. And um, we're getting things ready too for our kindred's Yule celebration. We're gonna make beeswax candles, and we're gonna make little mason jars of stovetop potpourri, and. Mm. Um, I already have homemade vanilla, but, you know, just go through the, the process of wrapping all of that and making it nice and, like I said, gathering and making our Yule decorations, um, making wreaths and stuff like that. We, we did that last year and it was a lot of fun. Nice. Do you think uh, she'll be helping maybe a little bit when she's four next Thanksgiving? I think we might be able to get her in the oh, kitchen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. She does enjoy helping and um, sometimes it's uh, – Sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not, but it's, it, it is instilling the, uh, the good values though. And just, you know, want her to have those fond memories of us and together and hopefully her passing down the recipes and, and everything onto her own children. Oh yeah. Let me just quickly ask, how do you, do you have a, like a way of you storing and writing out the recipes? Are, are you organizing them in a certain way with that in mind? Um, yeah, I, li I like doing the traditional on the index card. I feel like there's something so timeless about the the aged index card from grandma, you know, in a little recipe box. It's just so, I don't know, it's just uh, very nostalgic and kind of just a really personal touch. It's very homey, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I know I know exactly what you mean with that. Yeah. Yeah, and even now when I look at my recipes, you know, from my mom or grandma, you know, you recognize the handwriting and just that brings back a lot of memories and um, you know, I want I want that to be passed down for sure. Yeah, those that's really building beautiful memories uh, and it, inoculating your children against anti-whiteism while you're doing it. Uh, the all of these holidays offer us an opportunity to do that and uh, and and to spread uh, the uh, you know the practice of going free to those who are around us so that they can go out into the world and feel moral about their place in the world rather than having to hide in shame or to hold ideas that uh, they know are detrimental to themselves and and their children because they think it's the moral thing to do. Uh, that's a really beautiful thing. And kids will be able to look back. I guarantee if everyone out there, uh, if you empower your children, if you inoculate them with the practice of going free, uh, they will adopt that and stick with it because that makes them feel special. They finally get to be wonderful beings on planet Earth. And everywhere else they look, they'll see anti-whiteism trying to tell them the opposite. Uh, so they'll gladly adopt uh, the everything that you're that you're uh, sharing with them. It'll become really a beautiful uh, tradition and memories for them. And they'll be talking in decades to come about all the the yeoman's work that we were doing at this time that enabled them to have the family get togethers of not 15, but 25 or whatever it might be then and a, and a much stronger, much healthier people. It's really, except for maybe the demon Krampus part, maybe that part, you know, they they'll have bad memories of that, but everything else will be lovely. It's rectified <laughs> once you get to Father Christmas, once you get to the Yule Father, um, a little later in the month, it's like the balance, you know, <laughs> that's, our, that's our European yin and yang. So it all works out in the end. But Carissa, I think we have our friend, Lovely Parge, is actually from Australia, but we're just highlighting the fact that we all we all still share this culture from around the world. So we like to have some international guests, even for our American Thanksgiving. So he is here and we'll let you get back to your family, but we, we know it's a busy time for you and we appreciate you taking a few minutes to be with us. And um, I, I know your family's gonna have a beautiful time with all these things that you're preparing for the Yule season. And we send our love and hope to speak soon. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, thank Carissa. you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 And there he is, the man, the myth, the legend. Lovely Where's Paul all the ladies going? They all left when I got here. <laughs> That's how it goes, huh? That's what happens when you come late to the party. No, well, how, how we, you going, guys? we have you finishing this thing out. Think of yourself as the headliner. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I got all prepared for this. I did a bit of research on Thanksgiving last night. I, I got all the preparations and, and the facts and that. But all you guys have been talking about is mac and cheese, which I know nothing about. So <laughs> I'm totally unprepared now. We have to mail, we have to mail you some to Australia. If anything could get in right now. Um, or hopefully one, hopefully one day sit across the table from you and and actually share some of this food with you. That would be no, that would be the ideal. I have had it. I haven't had any good quality stuff, but uh, I I know a little bit about mac and cheese. I, I know more about mac and cheese than uh, punctuated equilibrium or whatever <laughs> uh, Simeon Gog was going on about. 
But uh, hey, you know, yeah, we, we, go, we, we go all over the map here on the after party. <laughs> you know, it'll be one minute it's a debate between whether or not you put ketchup on mac and cheese. The next minute it's punctuated at equilibrium, the rise and fall of empire. You never know what you're going to get here. But <laughs> uh, that's that's how we like it, right, Jason? We do a little bit of everything. Well, like I did to- learn one thing about Thanksgiving and uh, that the original one, they invited some American Indians to the celebration, uh, but you haven't done that today. You've ended up with an Australian. So I'm thinking uh, if the American Indians have snubbed you for Thanksgiving, uh, we can make a new tradition, you know, inviting Aussies on for to join in the feast. And uh, I can promise you we're not going to scalp you afterwards. That <laughs> We can start oh. it from now on. Someone in the chat was saying uh, that he, he and his wife, I think, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, doing some research and they were trying to create recipes from back and in that original Thanksgiving, at least what we know of it. And it makes sense because I guess they were by the shore and they had mussels and lobster, corn porridge and venison as well, apparently, is what uh, Steve is saying in the right. chat. So it's 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 departed from I don't know. I don't know what the history is from when Turkey really came on the scene. There has to be a story to that as to why. Well, I think I think Turkey's a native animal to America, isn't it? Yeah, the turkey was most abundant, uh, and so we we hunted and and lived off of them. And in fact, that's the reason why it was uh, considered that to, to be the, the national bird. Uh, because it was it was right. the bird that we the animal that we survived on, and not only that, but the turkey is actually a, a very intelligent animal. And you'll notice this when hunters in the hunting shows when they hunt turkeys, they need to be fully camouflaged. They have to uh, bathe and then cover themselves in a scent uh, that, uh, that will mask them from the turkeys. They're fully camoed because turkeys have color vision, can very acute vision. And uh, they also have to be silent because apparently turkeys also are able to hear very well. And uh, so it's the only animal that I've ever seen hunted where the, the, you know, the hunters look like they're in the midst of warfare <laughs> instead, of, instead of being able to wear like bright orange. Uh, they have to. Uh, so it was Ben Franklin. He actually was the one that really said the national bird should be the turkey for this reason. I remember that about the national bird. I don't remember. I feel like it has something. Why do I feel like it has something to do with Abe Lincoln? Or maybe this is, maybe I'm confusing with something else. But uh, that the turkey, or maybe he moved, because the, the actual time that we celebrate, it was moved a few times. I don't know if Franklin Roosevelt was the last president, uh, it might have been, who changed it to. It was in November, but earlier November, and then they said the third Thursday. So the date has moved a few times until we got to the modern third Thursday of November. Um, but the, particularly that it became the centerpiece of the meal, the, the meat uh, for the meal. But yeah, you're, you're reminding me, Jason, about the national bird thing. I guess we can't eat eagles. So they were like, let's, right. let's do something you can't eat. We'll go, we're going to switch from the turkey to the eagle. I bet you eagle meat is a little tough. Probably. An eagle is a, a lot more majestic too. It looks a, a lot more, a lot better than a turkey as a symbol. It looks, it looks better on a crest, right? It looks. Yeah. I, I don't know what it would imagine today. Like you walk in, like the office of the president or the, you know, the United States Army, and it's yeah. the turkey. 
the big waddle. Well, actually, the Australian crest has an emu and a kangaroo facing each other, which might seem strange to other countries. It looks pretty normal to us, though. Yeah, that that's uh, it strikes me as a little odd for a crest, a little awkward maybe for a crest. No offense. So, what is it like in America? Because I hear it's uh, Thanksgiving. They're making out as though it's kind of divisive, and uh, families can't get together because they're going to fight if they have Thanksgiving. There'll be, you know, maybe their granddaughter will kick up a fuss, and that is that true at all, or is it only in certain areas? I think it depends on the family. Would you say, Jason? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the real issue is, and I think this is true across the West, uh, and Thanksgiving just seems to be, in the United States, uh, a time where maybe it becomes quite vociferous uh, because, you know, it's not, it's not all about the, the giving and the, 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 I guess, like the Christmas spirit or maybe some of the other gatherings. But when you are in the company of family, and friends uh, for for these get-togethers for the totality of our uh, of our lives our parents lives grandparents lives the the anti-whites have had the moral high ground to come in and pontificate to the rest of us and uh, and 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 by so doing you know go back to the birds uh preen themselves on their uh, villainy signaling uh preen themselves on their their moral self-congratulation at the expense of all of us hardworking people who have to just pay for all of these things that they self-congratulate themselves for. And so as a consequence, uh, these environments can become quite uh, antagonistic. And it's, it's a major part of it. And if it's not directly spoken or the cause or the, or the, the fuse lighting of some of the tension that occurs, it is uh, undergirding it. So it's, you know, you know, this relative or that relative or whatever it is, is going, it has this sentiment and then they're going to come in and they're going to maybe dictate about something else. And so it just draws up those ghosts of those disagreements. And that's why going free is so important uh, because now in those environments, we can put uh, anti-whites in their place, uh, that they are the ones who are immoral and uh, I have uh, I, so many so many people have shared their stories about being able to do that at their Thanksgivings and their Christmases and, and the like over the past years now uh, because of being empowered with the concepts of going free. Uh, that yes, is what changes the world. Go ahead. Yeah, because you, you made me think also that when maybe a young teenage girl confronts her family and says, don't you know all the terrible things we did to these other people? What would they say in response if, if they're not going free? They would probably say, oh, shut up. We're just enjoying some turkey. We just want to have some food. And so they have the moral low ground, and she is the one who's the moral centre in that situation. So they need to come up with better responses than we don't care, we're celebrating because we like feasting, you know. Yeah, exactly. Parge, I think what you just what you generally heard about is just because everyone celebrates Thanksgiving the day before Thanksgiving is the biggest travel day of the year in America. So it's just that, you know, you're, you're sitting down at a table with maybe extended family that you're not normally with. And so the idea is that people have their different worldviews, their different politics. So there might, in the course of the evening, 
there might be some uh, heated conversations, you know, that's the kind of thing that you hear about, um, just generally speaking. I'm curious, uh, in six months from now, when it's fall time in Australia, are any of the old European fall festival holidays uh, make their way to Australia? Do you, is there any kind of folksy holidays in autumn time where you are? I don't think so, not to a large scale. Maybe some small towns might celebrate harvest some, somehow. But maybe we lost some of those things because they were traditionally done on a certain month. And when we came to Australia, the seasons were different. So it might have felt weird to them to change it to a different time of year. I don't know. But uh, there, there are small towns who use any excuse to get together and have parades and have... Um, bake sales and all this kind of stuff and, and and that's nice but not so much in in melbourne in the big cities and that yeah i still have to wrap my head around that that christmas for you is in the summer um when it's june and it's, it's beginning winter july um how cold does it get where you are and i guess you're going to do not, it not it's very cold by european standards no. sorry Jared? I was saying, if you're going to, about to give a temperature, we have to. You're going to give it in Celsius, and we'd have to convert it to Fahrenheit since we do Fahrenheit here. But not yeah. not very cold. Does it snow where you are? No, no, no. Only up in the mountains it, it snows. But no, we'd get down to about you know 13 degrees during the day, and you know it might get down to about eight degrees at night. So uh, I don't know what that is in your temperature, but. Uh, not bitterly cold, but it's still above freezing. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, and this is in Melbourne, in, in, forty degrees for us. If you're if you're out in the the desert in the Northern Territory, it can get freezing at night and uh, boiling during the day. So it's such yeah. a huge continent; you get so much varied temperature throughout yeah. it. But I think yeah, it, it's similar to America in a lot of ways, except that uh, we don't have all that snow that you get. You have some great ski mountains and that. Uh, we have some good mountains, but uh, we don't have that culture of shoveling snow from our driveways at all uh, anywhere in Australia. Right, right. More right. similar yeah, to was, South Africa, really. I wasn't sure about the if you got snowfall in some of the southern parts the, on the coast in Australia. No, yeah, no. Yeah, and, and that's what and makes so, Christmas different to us too because uh, it's it's in summer and it's often very hot during Christmas Day. So... Yeah, all these images of snow and these decorations people have outside looks quite out of place. But uh, I like it the way it is. And and the way we do our year is the school holidays at the end of the year coincide with Christmas. So the kids all get a long time off to celebrate. And, uh, and then in the new year, they're up into the next grade. So all this stuff seems just common sense to me. But uh, in the rest of the world, it's quite different. It's Right. Yeah, it's the middle of the school year here. But... Uh, yeah, that makes sense. You get this clean break and start the next grade in the new year. That part makes more sense. When you have little decorations of Santa Claus or Father Christmas, do they like put him in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, or do they, does he still have the whole red getup with the with the cap? Yeah, some do. Yeah, uh, some do that that kind of beach Santa thing, and uh, snowman's made out of sand and that, but. Uh, no, he's still he's, we've still got the traditional one. Yeah, that, that we're is jumping funny. ahead though. We're meant to be in Thanksgiving now. Yeah, well, 
as soon as we get as soon as we pass Thanksgiving, we're in we're in Christmas season. This is to me, Jason. I don't know if you feel similarly, but now this is the first day of Christmas season. I like to give each each holiday its due. October, you've heard me say this, Jason. October, Halloween, creepy stuff, that whole gothic thing. November, the harvest, preparing for Thanksgiving, the cornucopia, the the, the uh, your, you might decorate your house in themes of like oranges and browns and have pumpkins out. And now, once you pass Thanksgiving, obviously, you know, I, you know how you how it goes with the commercial aspect and the big stores. They're putting Christmas trees out in October. I think that should be illegal until today. You give Thanksgiving its due, and now, today, the day after Thanksgiving, you can start putting up the Christmas tree, the wreaths, the decorations. Now we have a good month. Makes sense. You have a good month to lead up to Christmas. There's nothing like Christmas. I love. I'm a Christmas guy. I love Christmas. And you know, Christmas is that one holiday, especially where it doesn't really end on Christmas. You usually keep your tree up for a couple of weeks. Definitely at least past New Year's Day. You keep those Christmas decorations up. So, it, you know, Christmas has a long tail to it as well. So we have plenty of Christmas, but they just put it up because of the, you know, they want to drive people insane with the shopping. Yeah, well, we you don't really have ha- Halloween, but the the shops are really pushing for us to celebrate it because they need something to put on the shelves before Christmas. Otherwise, Christmas would be earlier and earlier. And uh, we don't do Thanksgiving, but... There is one thing that came across from Thanksgiving, and it's not the turkey, it's not the sharing and all that stuff. It's the Black Friday sales, you know, up to 50% off selected goods uh, with the coupon code Black Friday. And so we did get that, but uh, not all the good stuff, and of course. And uh, so, yeah, we we Christmas stuff is on the shelves at the moment. And, uh, yeah, that's the only thing that is not, controversial about thanksgiving i think in america the sales they have they're not going to say oh we're not having a sale this year are they (laughs) that would be very un-american at least in the modern sense of what that term means you need to reject the black friday stuff and take like you need to reverse it porridge you need to do some work down there in australia reject the black friday bring in the folksy european harvest festivals you need to, you need to reverse yeah. that down there. You are down under it, after all. I know other countries do it, and, and they should because it's a, a Western type of celebration. And if you think about – I was thinking about how America was established, and you could probably say it started in Spain because the king and queen Ferdinand, they funded an exploration by Columbus, who was an Italian, and he discovered America, the New World. Uh, and then you had the English pilgrims, but they were actually living – over in Holland, right, in the Netherlands. Uh, but they decided to make a settlement in America. So you have all this kind of combined effort of Western kind uh, that led to the development of, of America, Spain, um, the Italian Columbus, the English, uh, and the Netherlands. And, uh, and there yeah. were antecedents even of that. What's that? Vikings and then other things we might not even know about, at least in terms of uh, standard history. But I know you're talking about the actual, you know, what became the yeah. the, uh, the country. And and you have to remember too, like those pilgrims that came, they weren't warriors and they weren't engineers and architects and scientists. They were just humble religious people. But they sailed across the ocean and they had to deal with these 
with complete wilderness and those savage tribes trying to kill them, their families, but they just got to work and what ended up happening? Their bio spirit ended up making Western civilization, and that happened in Australia and that happens everywhere we go. So I think that that gives me uh, comfort knowing that even if everything burnt to the ground and there was nothing left, we would just start building and eventually would have something that reflects our own people somewhere where we could call home again. Because we don't have home now, do we? It's uh, You look around, it doesn't reflect who we are, these ugly buildings and, and all that. So we will have to rebuild, even though we have our cities where they are. In our own homelands, we'll have to rebuild. But uh, if the pilgrims could do it and they weren't all, you know, advanced people in scientific fields, they were just religious people, then we can do it. Yeah, I mean, what you spoke about, I know we've mentioned this before, but America and Australia, being that you know, they were both founded as part of from the diaspora from Europe, the fact that you, you almost couldn't get two places on the globe as far apart, but we could go there or you could come here and be with us, you know, the way we live, and it would be familiar to you. It'd be comfortable. But mm -hmm. we're all we're surrounded, Jason and I, and us here in America, and you in Australia, each of us respectively are surrounded by countries that are geographically much closer. We could get to on a much shorter plane ride, but would feel like a different planet. Why is that? And that's exactly what you're saying. It's the, the instinct and the spirit and the mind projected into the culture. So Yeah, well, Australia is called, is in Australasia, we're next to uh, Indonesia and uh, the rest of Asia above us too, but that was not at all reflected in when we started making our civilization. Of course, it would be crazy to think uh, anything resembling Asian culture or Asian civilization would start to come out just because we moved into that location. So, but that is what we're expected to learn. It's you have to do mental gymnastics in order for this to work. Yeah, yeah, but we can always point to those examples of America and Australia and how similar, you know, we're the same civilization uh, as a perfect illustration of what you're talking about. Yeah. And also even think of the culture. We have these different cultures and the pilgrims, I don't know what religion they were, um, something very strange and something that probably radically different to Christians of today. Yeah, there were there were different types. Some were related to Calvinists, but there were yeah, there were a few different with the uh, Pilgrims and Puritans. But that didn't matter because of their bio spirit. They ended up making Western civilization anyway. So their belief system really didn't change uh, who they were inside and what they ended up producing. Right. I mean, you take and compare it to Australia, right? Where it was different groups. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and I, I think I've, I've heard they they were actually communists to some extent when they first started. That they decided when they got to America, they would just share everything and whatever you produce, whoever needs it, and that worked for a while. But uh, the more productive people weren't, you know, kicking themselves into gear once they had what they needed, and so they ended up separating, giving everybody plots, and then trading the goods, and and that worked out better for them. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it worked for a while, at least according to, you'll have to forgive me, but 
my source of this, just remembering a video I saw several years ago on it, was actually from Stefan Molyneux. And he talked about how we were taught as little kids in our history classes how the first few winters, 1620, 1621, you know, the first few years, were really, really difficult. And um, he actually breaks that down and gets under the hood a little bit more. It talks about how those first few years, they did what you said. They tried to share things in common. Um, and then they switched to a system where everyone had to produce and trade. And there's more incentive to um, be a contributing member. And that's when things began to flourish more. It's kind of the right. general thumbnail sketch of what he talked about in that video. Because it was kind of unnatural to us, uh, even though intellectually it might have seemed like a good idea it didn't end up working but uh my point basically was that it was a completely different political system completely completely different religion and yet it ended up creating western civilization again and it's the case across the board you know you, you ne you'd never look at like a viking ancient viking culture look at their axes and say this is an ugly thing it's beautiful to us because it was made by our people regardless of what they believed at the time and what kind of political system they had. Uh, it's across the board. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when and that's also why we can appreciate each other's celebrations, even if we don't celebrate them ourselves. And that's why we have you here, buddy. So that might be <laughs> I'm trying to justify to myself being here. <laughs> there's, no, there's no justification or rationalization for it. You're our friend. And we're celebrating a Western holiday. And of course, you're invited. And we're glad that you're here. So, uh, Jason, this is a good place to start wrapping up. I don't know if we have any any uh, comments from the chat that you want to highlight before we say goodbye. Well, I do. And uh, one thing that I do want to mention is that uh, naturally, since the ear is against the door, that not all of the American Indians uh, behaved in savage ways. Uh, that was only a few individuals, of course. And uh, the rest of them were just most welcoming and uh, taught us how to do everything because we were completely incompetent. At least that's what we're told now uh, in the educational systems. And uh, of course, CNN underscores that <laughs> whenever they talk about Thanksgiving. So just remember, white man, uh, that uh, if it wasn't for the American Indian, uh, you would be absolutely helpless. So let's see what we have. We do have one financial gift, and it is from the uh, very one and only Summer Lee. Financially gifting $15. Thank you so very much for that. And a, a little emoji heart. Thank you. And we have a question in the question or comment, I think, in the question widget by uh, one, the one and only tall Kevin. Said Semigog didn't just go off on a tangent. He took the whole basket of tangerines. <laughs> uh, talking about earlier in uh, the sh show tonight uh, and uh, so that was great let me go ahead I'll refresh over here to see if we hey sure Kevin I, anybody. I uh, asked Semi Gaga a question and that this is this is what we do uh, say in Oliver's defense but that was a pretty good one tangent tangerines well played tangerine. well played well, that's that's it for comments and uh, questions and uh, financial gifts. It's magnificent. Paul, anything, anything you want to tell us in the spirit of the holiday that you're grateful for? Before that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for being on this stream uh, at Thanksgiving. 
and to be around uh, other great people and and to know that uh that we're different from the anti-whites because we can be very proud of uh our ancient ancestors the ones who created america and created australia and that and i would hate to to um dislike my own people i that's the most terrible thing in the world you know to dislike your own people is because there's a hate of yourself mm. so um we reject that and we're much better for it so and of course i'm i'm happy to have good health and good mental health and and, and be with my family and all those things as well and, and be well fed so um as 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 bad as times are and even though we might not have the homelands in in our own hands and our own destiny in our own hands we we can be um thankful for so much that that uh, our ancestors have done for us as, and, and you know take courage from that so yeah i, I had yeah, amen to that. I, thought of. I should have thought more about what i'm thankful for but uh yeah that just comes to mind oh it's perfectly all right it's good to be spontaneous on the, in the moment jason anything you want to add to that well i i, I thought i think that it, it's it's wonderful actually where that we have porridge come in at the, end of, at the end of the conversation that we've been having tonight about Thanksgiving, because it really is uh, the the the, ho the holidays, the, of course, that the things that are not built by just laissez-faire capitalism, uh, the things that come from us come from our biospirit, as as Porridge is saying, and so it's it's runs through us wherever we are on planet Earth. So even though Thanksgiving is something that you know we have a name for it, we got a funny turkey. Uh, and uh, maybe it's not the same, you know, Canada has their Thanksgiving. We still have the same bio spirit. So the holidays are run, they run through us. It's the same. And, and that's something that is truly beautiful. That's the one thing that the anti-whites, as much as they can defile, uh, who and what we are, uh, that bio spirit, as long as we keep it and protect it, there's nothing they can do to it. And we'll be, we'll be brothers and sisters around planet earth and beyond earth. Uh, who knows one of these days uh, no matter where we go so uh, our holidays our homes our countries our flags uh, they are in our hearts they are everywhere that we travel and we need to remember that when we see them being white erased all around us those are just the projections that the anti-whites are interfering with uh, we still have a mighty spirit inside of us that is uh, only now with the tools and concepts of going free, uh, breaking free of the chains, and uh, we'll, with our effort, recapture our destiny. Any final thoughts, Porridge, before we let you go? Yeah, what I should have just said, you said it so much better than me, but uh, we can appreciate these celebrations much more when we have no white guilt because it's not tainted by anything. We can be proud of our ancestors and uh, whether they did some some bad or good, they're our people, and uh, we can see ourselves in them. Amen to that, Mr. Jason, George. Jason, I just want to put to you, to put to part anything you want to leave us with that you're grateful for on this Thanksgiving special. Uh, well, I'm uh, grateful. I'm thankful for uh, you, good brother. I'm thankful for this entire community. Uh, I am thankful for the uh, wonderful person that I'm dating. I'm thankful for uh, my family. 
Uh, I'm thankful for the tools that uh, our great BioSpirit has e equipped me personally with. I'm glad that so many, I'm thankful that so many have, uh, with the tools that our BioSpirit have, have, have gifted to them, have come forward to answer the call to challenge and take down the greatest evil of our day, anti-whiteism. So this is a great time of year to focus on the strengths. Uh, and uh, we need to do that, especially with the anti-whites with as much power as they wield, because we can look down uh, right in front of us, right where our, our own two feet uh, are standing, and we can focus on taking the next step. And that's what it has to be, the next step and the next step after that. And the destiny will come. It'll be ours. And the same question to you, Mr. George, what are you thankful for? Well, I can definitely reiterate everything that you said, all of us here, our friendship, what we've done together, this community, everything that I've been able to learn and be in this wheel of inspiration uh, since starting this and going public a few years ago, all these projects, online things, uh, including Parj and I did a project, a video contest a couple years ago. Just uh, It's been such a great story and so many things, um, relationships and projects done. Of course, mm -hmm. people in my own life, uh, creativity and music and the ability to do that, health, uh, you know, clear mind and speech, at least some of the time, you know, but uh, getting better at wielding these gifts that we've been given and, um, and creating, you know, not as we were talking about, even with Laura Lee and Oliver, even when we got a little deeper on it, and it relates to everything, you know, your whole framework, Jason, and how you couch things is it's, it's, you know, at some point you realize you're not just the recipient. You're not merely a recipient of other people's ideas or other people's agendas that you have your own mind, your own awareness, and you can begin to make conscious choices about how you live your life. And even the words you say and the things, what you think, uh, the power in that. And uh, we're all, as I said earlier tonight as well, as long as you're here living and breathing, you're still on your adventure. So it's never over. You never say, well, well, I'm done. Um, right. But to realize you broke up uh, right there, Jared. To, to realize, realize to realize you're at the, uh, at least have that based uh, state of awareness and, sovereignty over your own thoughts and language and you're living creatively and to do that with other people as i said and be part of a wheel of inspiration where you're you're learning and being inspired all the time these are all beautiful things i'm grateful for this time of year all the different times of year and celebrating life we're getting into the yule season now we're gonna have a lot of fun i love this uh so yeah leave that those are some thoughts i'm sure there are other things um I'm a big believer in gratitude. I try to find things big and small to focus on every day to be grateful for, but it's especially important yeah. or relevant now that we have a holiday that focuses on that. Um, but my love to all of you, and we will see you very soon. Yes, folks. Thank you so much for everybody writing into the live chat that they are thankful for this community as well and uh, the great work that we are doing. We, we have had enormous successes. Uh, and very recently with uh, very significant uh, content creators like Mark Dice 
and there are more coming using the concepts. Uh, this is how we change the world. You change, you can change the, uh, the world in uh, that dining room where you're having that Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, we have Christmas coming up. You'll be able to change the world there. But then we have these, uh, these uh, content creators, like I say, like Mark Dice and others who are using the lexicon and increasingly so. And because it is the curative contagion, because it is exactly what we have developed it and continue to, to develop it to be, we are the ones changing the world. So be thankful for yourself and the hard work that you were doing to bring that new world, that new vision into focus. Because if we're not doing it, it's not getting done. Big thank you to everybody who was here today commenting and those who were on the wall just being a flower and participating. We love you too. Uh, big thank you to Nate Arific for moderating over the course of the stream and to all of our guests, a, a big thank you. Of course, uh, the most thanks to the lovely Porridge who's with us here at the tail end to save the best for last with, uh, you look at the comments, the kind of comments that Porridge gives. And I've had more than a handful of people read Porridge's comments in the threads and uh, write me and say, that Porridge guy is some kind of genius. Well, I completely <laughs> concur. But folks, it's been marvelous. And happy Thanksgiving to every single one of you. And we look forward to seeing you all again next time.